Hello and welcome to another Cynical Supplement. It has been a while, I've been sick, and then this weekend I played and finished God of War. Uh, so if you can't tell by the episode title, welcome to uh, my solo, hopefully the first of two, because uh, I plan to do this with others as well at some point in the future, God of War spoiler cast. Um, I will be totally spoiling the, the shit out of that game here. Uh, I think last weekend we tried to record an episode with uh, Doubleton Durin. Uh, they couldn't, like, Audition just wasn't playing. Uh, I think, I actually legitimately suspect, because I've switched to Audacity on my end, I legitimately suspect that there's been um, a, like, a Windows 10 patch that's broken the old version of Audition we use, which is Audition version 3.0. Um, it still works well for editing, but whatever, I, I'm getting too deep into that. Let's get into God of War. So, for this, I will be talking about, um, I'll be spoiling the shit out of the whole game. So if you haven't played the game to completion, including the optional endings, or the ending, the optional ending, don't listen to this. Um, if you have, though, like I hope I hope you can sit down here and rap with me. And, I, I, and I'm going to actually uh, see if I can come up with a structured way of, of, of talking through this game. Um, so what I've got open in front of me is um, the IGN uh, walkthrough because I th I've listened to like two spoiler casts already: the Cardiff Games one and then the uh, Easy Allies one, both featuring Corey Bollog himself, by the way. So if, if you haven't watched those, watch those. Um, it's curious because having the developer there is great because you get a lot of insight into their development process. But it's also on the flip side of things, you don't necessarily get too much of the actual individuals on the panel's feelings about the game. Um, but that aside, they're both excellent. You should watch them. Um, for my end, what I'm going to do instead is, uh, of course, I don't have co fucking Corey here. But I, what I will be doing is, they started from the end of the game and went towards the start. Like they started from the end and went backwards. Um, so forwards or whatever you want to say. For uh, me, I'm going to start to start and go forwards. So I'm going to start at the very start of the game, from the opening scene, using this IGN walkthrough as my like guide to uh, like direct my thoughts about this game. And and then and I'll just like talk through what my feelings were about the game in general. My overall feelings for the game um, is that like I'm sitting when I finished it three days ago now or two one two, one. More, two to three days ago now, um, I needed to like percolate on it for a while, so I didn't do this immediately. Also, I didn't have time because I had work and stuff. But um, when I finished this game, I was sitting somewhere between a nine and a half out of ten or a ten out of ten. Um, and I still haven't figured out where I sit on that. I think I'm leaning more. You know what? I, I won't say anything yet. I'll, I'll get, let you guys figure that out. Uh, for yourselves as I talk about the game, but it's definitely high. Like, I, let's be clear, this is a fucking amazing game. Um, this is going to be a uh, contender, a almost certain contender for Game of the Year 2018. Uh, if I was to stack it up against games of recent years, I think the last game that I played, so that doesn't include Nier, because I didn't play Nier. I love Nier, I didn't play Nier. The last game that I played that I liked this much was Witcher 3. Um, including the DLC. So for, for the, that year when that came out, I, I me and Nubarama picked uh, Tales of the Borderlands as the game of the year because we just had a blast with it. But ever since then, I went back to Witcher 3 and I 
tried out some of the DLC and I read some of the books. And I think overall, in the fullness of time, Witcher 3 was the better game, um, which is crazy. Like, it's it's just an... Both are incredible games, but Witcher 3 is just a... I think it's a masterpiece. Um, the combat's... Like, like with all masterpieces, they're flawed because they're made by humans. Um, but it is wonderful and this i think is of that caliber of game this is a um game of the generation contender um up there with horizon zero dawn in my opinion uh which are three um and i think those those are oh zelda and zelda maybe to others not me personally but i can see that being that that running um yeah this this is like the more i think about this game the more i appreciate its subtlety uh, it's, it gives me Last of Us vibes in that way. It is nothing like The Last of Us aside from having two main characters. It's like the only thing those two games share. Um, but it's giving me The Last of Us vibes in that when The Last of Us ended, first of all, I needed a couple of days to percolate that, that as well. Sorry, I'm just adjusting my headset. You might get some microphonics there. But um, took a couple of days to percolate in that as well. Uh, in that case, is because I've, I, ha- I was one of those guys who... Um, found it really hard to deal with the fact that Joel was kind of the bad guy or what could be seen as a bad guy in that game. Um, in this, it's taken me a couple of days to percolate because of that disconnect between old God of War and new God of War. Um, the fact that they were able to change the whole series so fundamentally is incredible, but that has to be balanced against like my expectations coming into this game from the old series like if if you're coming to this expecting something bigger and more bombastic than god of war 3 that is not what this game is um this is not in the vein of old god of war games um it has the same scale but not the same spectacle um and i think that's the part that like really made you have to think about this game a bit more because it it does in some spots. I'd say the only negative thing I have to say about this game because I don't have an issue with cameras like some people do. I don't have. I love the combat. I think it's the best combat of the generation. Um, I love the music. I think it's some of the one of the best soundtracks of the generation. Again, up there with Witcher Three and Persona Five. Um, I, th- I think that visually this stands toe to toe with Uncharted Four easily um, as best looking game I've ever seen. Um, I think the only criticism I have against this is that uh, this it's very light on the spectacle. It has a lot of epicness, but not necessarily the spectacle. And it's doing that on purpose because it's a more intimate kind of game, um, telling a more intimate kind of story, even though there is bombast in there. The, the couple of scenes they do go for a spectacle, they fucking nail it. It is ridiculous in scale. Um when they do go for it but it's that's not every that's not as it's not as prevalent as it was in all god of war so it was missing that for me which is kind of why i'm sitting at that that 9.5 to 10 um kind of deliberation which is a stupid deliberation to have because it's arbitrary numbers and it just comes down to feel like do i think it is a masterpiece yes so in that case it should be a 10 did i come out of it feeling like it was the perfect game no because it uh, did lack some of the spectacle I was looking for. But now that I'm thinking about it more and as the time goes on, much like The Witcher 3, like I'm liking it more as I think about it. Um, part, of, part of that is because of like the, the general positive sentiment toward this game. I think it's like affecting me to some degree. Um, but that's just inevitable. That's just how things work. Um, but it, like overall, 
Jake, the holy shit, like there's people have brought up moments that I look at and go, yeah, no, this game is special. Like this, this game is, has got bits in it that are, um, poignant and meaningful in a fucking God of War game. And also it happens to have probably my favorite combat full stop. Um, I'm trying to think of other games I liked as much, and it's probably just like I, I love the Soul series, obviously, and this borrows so much from the Soul series that that it's not surprising to me that it per, it supersedes the Soul series in my own mind. Um, but also, uh, what else is really up there in terms of combat? Devil May Cry and DMC Devil May Cry, both of those are fantastic. Uh, it borrows a lot from DMC Devil May Cry, uh, and since it's a spoiler cast, I can say that. Um, I'll get to why later, but it borrows a lot from DMC Devil May Cry, where enemies have different elemental affinities, and you can change stuff to, to combat them under them elemental affinities. Um, DMC Devil May Cry, that was For original Devil May Cry, it was just like, for that era, that style of combat was just so amazing. Um, I never got into Bayonetta. I didn't like Nier. So I think it really is up there with um, my favorite combat systems. Like Tales of Vesperia was all right, but it's a very different kind of thing. It's more RPG-ish. And this definitely eclipses that in just terms of feel. Last of Us combat, uh, I fucking loved because it gave that visceral impact. And this easily supersedes that in terms of visceral impact. This is actually, yeah. Um, I forget who said it. I think it might be Greg Miller, but I think or it might have been Tim Geddes one of those like one of the kind of funny crew but this is probably my favorite combat in a video game um fuck i fucking adore it uh yeah so so like overall it's a package i think yeah this is a 10 out of 10 quality game um it's really my own personal hang-ups that like make me go oh it's not perfect but fucking whatever what it what is perfect so let's get into the game here i'm going to talk spoilers um talking about story now because um, that's my idea of gameplay. And I'll, talk, I'll touch on little different gameplay parts as we go along, as I get introduced as the game goes along. Um, so the first, the, the first chapter of the game is called The Marked Trees. Um, and that is the opening of the game. And this is one of those curious things where I didn't know how to feel, where um, if you think of the old God of War, and I don't remember which one, I think it was God of War 2, where he's like standing... Uh, I think my, all the might have started this, I think every God of War started this way where he's looking at the camera with the menu on the left and you hit start game and then you just like starts doing stuff. Like it's it, it there's there's no cut to the game. It's just like the the uh op- the menu of the game is the opening shot. Um but for this one it was really interesting because I was I didn't know how to feel because it, it it was interesting because the excitement I felt about starting God of War warred for a couple of seconds regarding uh, with the uh, somberness of um, the first instances of a game where the first thing he does is he's chopping down this tree with the handprint of Faye on it. Um, and, but you don't know at the time, you just know it's a marked tree. There's a handprint on the street and he's climbing down the street. Um, not her full, whole first chapter, so like uh, chopping down a tree. They, they, they do a masterful job of like introducing where Kratos is at now. 
and that's the intent obviously with a good introduction but like everything from the fact that he cuts down the tree and you get to use the axe for the first time like the the game opens with you for using the axe which is the new thing about this game um well, one of the many new things about this game you're not using blades at the start of the game uh using the axe and it's teaching you the controls contextually with cutting down this tree which is part of the story which is setting up what he's doing later which is breaking the because he's cutting these trees cutting down these trees he's actually breaking this circle of protection around his home um and because of the the broken circle of protection the norse gods can find him that's like the circle of events that's all encompassed in the beautiful opening of him just cutting down this fucking tree like it's so when you look at this game and this is why i like going forward through the game you can see the uh level of depth to the writing across every moment of it the layers that they stack on everything that i fucking love now i'm thinking of the game going through it this way it's just like the um the effort and love they put into it just comes into it anyway so he cuts down this tree <laughs> um and the other thing he introduces is oh no yeah Kreo still got it like he cuts down this fucking tree in like a four swipes or whatever it was ridiculous and the whole thing falls and then he just fucking picks it up and starts walking with it and it's that like little moment of um a man in mo first of all it's like the first time you see uh was definitely obviously not first of all the first time thing first time you see kratos essentially really portraying a subtle emotion because there's this moment where he puts his hand against the mark on the tree and then just um just hugs the tree for a second you know like as if hugging his now dead wife um and you get a feeling that oh no wow kratos really did it wasn't just like a um those speculations are like oh just someone he raped in the past or some, some shit like that like that this wife was the the son was born of like some illegitimate means or something like he and he wasn't there because of whatever like he didn't love the woman or whatever it, that, not that at all like it's definitely a um he definitely had feelings for this wife Faye and it's, but it wasn't like him crying or um really like doing something totally out of the ordinary for kratos it was just a pause and a moment of reflection a moment of tenderness from him that started me on like oh okay they're actually nailing um the thing they nail for the entirety of the game which is kratos acting like kratos in a different part of his life he's not a different person he hasn't fundamentally changed in many ways but the part the ways he has changed is getting older wiser um and more in touch with humanity <coughs> sorry i have the cough um i'll try to meet myself in the future all right so you get the superman the superman moment of him um picking up the tree and just walking away with it which is great and then you meet atreus um so the start of the game is pretty great where he um grabs a tree takes a trace home and then starts burning the ashes and you get the feel for that in that connection with him and um atreus really deep like you get the idea that they're not they're not close obviously and it makes it ambiguous as to like how this will go um to some extent because 
it's funny because because they weren't close, Atreus has essentially ended up the way he is, where he's actually ends up starts the game like lighting candles for his mother's pyre or his uh, mother's deathbed, um, being like just a nice, loving kid, and um, well, you really do get the juxtaposition between the two. Like the, like the kid is just he's so innocent at the start of this game. And if you think about where he ends up at the end of the game, it's like, okay, yeah, you, the kid goes on a significant journey, and Kratos does too. Um, so that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to start. So let's get to the like, real meat of fucking the, the Mark Trees chapter. I think it's still the Mark Trees. Um, so the stranger fight. One of the best moments of the whole fucking game. And I, I promise I won't go through every part of the game like with this level of detail. I just want to hit the highlights, but go forward through it. The stranger fight. Um, this is one of those moments. This is actually one of my favorite fights in the game. Might even be my favorite fight in the game. Um, because it was that moment where it's like, no, 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 this is still fucking God of War, motherfucker. Like it's <laughs> like, it is perhaps the second biggest spectacle fight in the game. Not just because of, um, who you're fighting, the stranger, but the things that happen to the environment around you because you're fighting this guy. So it opens with him like um, telling uh, his son to hide under the house. Like they, they, they come back from the pyre, they, they light the wood, she's set on fire, they go for the hunt, they come back. You've seen the hunt in the, um, in the trailers. It was actually kind of strange to me that they changed the ending of the hunt and have it like transition straight into a boss fight and that's how you introduce like that whole thing. Interesting choice there. I don't know if I would have done the same thing. Um, I liked the way it ended in the E3 trailer, but if they did that just the way it had been done, um, maybe maybe we would have lost any form of poignancy. For me, the weird thing was that they, they'd still sit there and stare out into the distance, but what's in the distance isn't that spectacular. It's just like trees and whatever because it's there. They're not looking over this giant valley into the mountains with um, dragons in the distance like they were in the E2 trailer. Anyway, going back to the boulder fight, they come back from that. Um, the cool thing with the boulder fight, so there's a couple layers here. He tells the trailers to, to hide under the house, which sets up so much for later, which is beautiful because the first thing Treyas says is like, um, but you told me never to go under there. And it makes you makes me wonder, like, why why did Kratos care? Like, he clearly was barely around for this kid's childhood. Why does why is that the thing that Kratos told the child was don't go under the house? And it didn't twig to me that like, he could have hidden something on them. I must be it must have been just like I don't know. He's an over controlling father. That's what I thought um, when I first said that line. But it, it's it was so strange that it stuck into my mind, which was um beautiful beautifully written for later um so he hides under the house and Kratos goes inside and this fucking random like hippie look not hippie looking dude but like fucking i don't know trailer trash looking dude with tats all over him and shirtless um starts fighting you and it's cool because before he lands uh before he knocks on the door you hear like this these wings beating above which makes you wonder because you never find out it makes you wonder what powers boulder truly has um, or this way, it's still the stranger. But he, either way, like you know, it's not just a normal dude because you hear these wings beating, and you see this thump of something land outside, 
and then you see there's someone knocking the door with like a weird trailer trash accent. <coughs> um, so it's been, it's pretty cool. Like, I love the start of that because of, again, it shows you who Kratos has become. Shows you what he's about. He actually, in no other God of War game, would he have let some weird little wimp slap him around the face a couple times and just be like, you don't want to start this. Like, he, that would never have fucking come close to happening in a different God of War game. Um, and that's just like, again, I was like, what? for some reason, there's something really respectable about it. It made me like, I think that was the first moment that I realized that Kratos wasn't just changed. He was actually just, a, he was a likable protagonist. It is really, it was actually a weirdly likable moment where you know who the fuck Kratos is. And the fact that he's taking a moment to just warn someone off fighting him was this case of like, yeah, you're like a real, you're a good person now, kind of like, you're not perfect, clearly, but you're, you're actually a good person. It made me actually really, it, it endeared me to him. So when the fight became about him protecting, him thinking he's protecting his son from Boulder, that's when shit got really real. So it's like a couple of things like all got put into that one fight. Like again, so many layers and it's hard to unpack. So the first thing is slapped around the face. You find out about Kratos's new perspective on life, essentially that he will not, he is in a position where he will warn someone from being away from his house uh, and being away from him and fighting and starting a fight with him. But then you get the amazing uppercut. Um, that's, it was like a, it was the reminder that this is still God of War. When Balder, or at that, that point, the stranger, uppercuts him and he goes flying into the air and slams down the back like a Superman, it becomes like a Superman fight. I was like, oh shit, this game still got the spectacle um, this game can still do it. Like the camera work, the uh, part of it is because it's that, that one shot camera, but the shaky cam involved, the feeling of kinetic, um, just the kinetic energy of that scene of him being flung over the house, slamming into trees, through trees, into the fucking snow, then picking himself back up and turning around to see Boulder behind him, just like flying over the house himself, like jumping over in like one jump, landing behind him covered in ice. And then, um, asking him to start the fight or to finally start fighting him um that's what was like oh crap that this fight is gonna this is this is still god of war um and there's and other parts of that fight are just amazing like um the deformation of the trees like when you get the right hits i think it's like timed or something like but when you hit the right points of um his health bar or something he gets like boulder gets knocked back through trees or kratos gets knocked back through trees and like the world around you is like shaking and snow is falling and trees are falling. And uh, when Boulder throws you back over the house, like you feel like the um, energy of him impacting the roof. And, break, and when Boulder breaks the roof and sees a second bed, that's when I was talking about like Kratos realizes like, oh no, this is this has become about him protecting um, Atreus. And that's when the fight really gets real. Because that's when... Um, Kratos starts really fighting back with everything he's got. Uh, and that's when things just become full God of War. We're talking about like fucking Kratos like slamming, a, like cut, breaking a tree, I think with his own hands or something. I don't think he, I don't think he cuts it down. I'm pretty sure he just rips it out of the ground, slams it into Boulder, pins him against a fucking um, like 
hill, like a, like a hillside. Um, sorry, I had to cough there. A hillside, like a, like a, a, a wall of rock, and then just like slamming boulder through the wall of walk, rock out the other side into like this statue in the distance or this like uh, monument in the distance that then falls, like it's like gets crumbled slightly. That was like, holy shit. This still got it. Um, and it was, yeah, I think that was because of the Spartan. No, that was it. So like uh, Boulder gets the upper hand and that's when the first time, one of the first times you get Spartan rage. Um, and it's a cool thing they do through this whole game where the moments where you get Spartan rage in the story of the game outside the main gameplay is when Atreus is in trouble. And that's fucking, that's a really cool like thing to me about like, again, not only writing, but writing plugged into gameplay in an amazing way where um, it really is when uh, Balder is realizing that there's, he's not alone in the house, that he's looking for someone and it might not be Kratos that Kratos just really fucking turns it on um, and so, so Boulder's slamming him into that, that fucking hillside or that um, wall of rock I was talking about and then he gets button range and everything goes fucking crazy. Through the wall, out the outside, it's when you're on the other side of the um, of the hill there was like, okay, this is probably one of my favorite fights in this game and I still love it. It's because they're doing things like just, they're doing fucking Dragon Ball shit, right? Like the just them grappling is enough to split the ground beneath them and force the world to deform around them and, and split apart. And like when they kick each other, they go across this giant crevice they've made in the ground. And um, when um, Kratos is like burying Balder under this giant monument, he just like slams his feet fist into the stone holding it up to bring it down like it's just those moments of like fuck this is like epic as shit god of war bitches moments um that's when it like really gets cool um and that's why it's one of my favorite fights in the game so like the the fact that it ends with like that kind of intimate kill <laughs> of creators just like leg locking around balder grabbing his head around his neck putting his arms around Boulder's neck and just squeezing it out. And Boulder breaking free for a second and Kratos grabbing again. And this, I'm telling this all from memory just because of how much it's fucking stuck in my head. Boulder breaks free for a second then Kratos grabs him again and, and, and keeps choking him out. Um, part of that is like the first time I saw E3, whatever, like 2012 or whatever the fuck it was, uh, Last of Us, the one of the first Last of Us trailers where you first see Joel choking someone out because there's something so visceral and dark and um, just like intimate about just fucking choking someone out, and it and watching that death, um, reminding me that oh no, yeah, this is this is God of War, but it's a better God of War. This is actually um, that kill is more intimate to me, and more meaningful to me, and more impactful to me. It's most most important to me, most impactful to me. Because it wasn't just him cutting off Boulder's head and then putting his like head on his belt or whatever, like you know, like like what he did with Apollo in the back in the day or whatever, and um, someone else played in this game. Uh, it's just yeah, just that I just want to talk about that. Like the start of the game, the Mark Trees, that chapter is just fantastic from start to finish. Apparently, they worked on it like a um, like 
a short story. So they made that as a short story before the game come out as a demo, and they actually showed that demo prior to releasing the release celebration, but then became the E3 demo, and then it became the start of the game. Um, they made it as a short story kind of thing, and that's kind of wonderful. It ends, in that case, with the killing of the deer, but I feel like the whole thing just felt so contiguous with... It's all about Atreus not being ready. And when they leave for the second chapter of the of the game, and I'm not going to go through every chapter in this level death, but whatever. The second chapter of the game, Path of the Mountain, when they leave for the mountain, the idea is, prove me wrong, boy, or whatever equivalent knows, whatever he says was, um, Atreus isn't ready, but they have to go to the mountain because they're not safe here anymore because they broke the trees that broke the protection line. And coming over, I remember the moment of like coming out of this like dungeon and looking out of this landscape and seeing the golden like light in the distance of the protection wall, the ward or whatever they call it. They don't call it a ward. They call it something else. Stave or something. Some weird name. Um, that's similar to like push away, but it's not stave or ward. Um, but it's, there's this golden light that's circling them and you see a break in it. And Kratos realizes that wait a second Freya must have known that when she marked those trees that this would start the journey this would happen that the gods the Norse gods would find them and that would start their journey that forced them to leave for realsies um, which again if you look at the end of the game and what you find out about Freya at the end so many harking back. Like, if you think about it, it's like, holy shit, how much does she fucking know? Like, oh, she did everything about this game. And something Corey Barlog said in the interview with um, Easy Allies with his spoiler cast with them, which is a big spoiler, um, potentially for future games, but I guess maybe not. But um, go, if you look back at the game, which I am doing now, with the knowledge that the actual canon or head canon for the director reason for all of this. Every marking in the game, if you look at every wall you traverse in the game, there's like um, inscriptions on it, which is in some way like the same as the yellow pipes in Un- in Uncharted and Last of Us. It's telling you that's a, s- a scalable surface. It's a gameplay mechanic. This is this is a scalable surface. It's got this like Norse inscription on it, like a triangle pointing downwards as if like... um a lip coming down from the uh, line of the crack you can hold. And the headcanon version of that from Corey Barlog is that Faye was, knew their future in such depth and was so powerful that she actually did every step of their journey before them and marked out the way for them. It's actually the headcan. Actually the headcan of the director. It's sealed with the final um, climb up to the mountain at the end of the game where there's the there's like one of the one of the last steps you do, there's like inscription, just as the, the Norse inscription, just like everywhere else in the game, but with her handprint on it, the golden handprint that she put on the trees at the start of the game. So she'd been through Nilfheim and fucking everything else, like uh, um, Muspelheim and all that kind of stuff, and across Midgard, um, 
through to the world serpent, um, into the um, tears temple, everything. She did that before, before you guys did, to mark out the way for you, uh, to help you to some extent, but also to um, because she knew about the future, because she needed to walk that path of her own for whatever reason. We won't know. We might never know what her reason was. But in um, Corey's mind, Corey Barlow, the director, who's fucking one of the greatest directors up there, at, um, he his his mind is that she's so she's potentially the most powerful person in the series, and that'll be revealed as the games go on. Um, but yeah, that moment of them coming over out of that dungeon at the end of uh, I think it's the start of Path to the Mountain or the end of marking the marked trees chapters of the game, where he sees that breaking the um, fence. Uh, that I was like, wow, this is this is this this game's doing some shit here with um either visions or time, and the weird thing is because the game's so compelling and has such pacing to it and drive to it to go forward and to discover and and keep the story but also explore, I forgot about that totally until like the end of the game. Um, I remember picking out that moment. I still remember to this day. But during playing the game, which I played for like 40 hours or something, um, totally forgot about it, uh, which is fantastic, which is just a mark of like just really good game design, I'd say, and directing and everything, really. Um, all right. So that was the marked trees. Um, next one was Path to the Mountain. And it's curious because the next kind of like parts of the game are like all kind of... Um, woven together in my mind for good reason because it's a fucking long game but we're talking about everything from like going through dungeons to finding the boar to meeting the witch in the woods um and it's really cool because you get that dynamic of um freya or the witch of the woods uh her and um atreus is a really cool dynamic i love in this game and i think freya is a a fantastic example of how this game does everything which is the first time you meet someone, you also meet the, the dwarf. So, um, fuck, what's his name? It's a, it's a short name. I keep forgetting it. I, I remember his fucking brother's name. Do I remember his Dirk or something? Fuck, I, I feel terrible. But you meet the dwarf um, and Simri and fucking something. I fucking forget his name. Um, but you meet the dwarf. And it's the same thing. Like, you don't know that he's one of the two fucking smiths that made fucking Molnir and the Leviathan Axe. Um, so, like, every time they introduce a character, they introduce them subtly. Like, even Kratos and Atreus, like, they introduce you, there's just a moment in their lives, slowly introduce them. So, for Kratos and, Atre- Kratos and Atreus, it's just slow, just, no, this is them burying their mother. Slow introduction. Um, the uh, The blacksmith, He's just trying to get his stupid animal across this fucking bridge. That's it. Then you just meet him and he's like, okay, and he'll help you out and you sell shit. And then he does like, oh, well, you won't believe me, but I made that axe. Um, that's such a cool kind of thing where like you just get slowly introduce his character and you get like their, a feel for who they are as a person first before you know that past, um, which is great, which is that's how you meet actual people in real life, which is fantastic that this game does that. So with Freya, she's just this nice lady who lives in the fucking woods with this awesome big turtle dude who's cute as all hell and giant. 
Um, I don't know if that's actually... I don't know how much of this game comes from actual Norse mythology. I love it, though. Um, the turtle dude is probably actually one of my favorite things about this game because it's just such a surprise. I didn't expect um, Giant Turtle to feature itself in Norse in a Norse-themed game. Um, but her hut is cool. The fact that it goes up and down uh, from above ground to below ground to protect her is cool because of that giant turtle. Um, but even then, like just the interaction between her and Kratos, you get the feeling of when she realizes that he's a god. So it's time you really get the idea of like, oh no, he does not tell, he does not want to tell Atreus that the fact that the, the boy is a god. Um, and it starts, starts that like whole subplot of like, okay, no, he he's hiding that for Atreus because he hates the gods he hates himself. He thinks the gods are only on Earth to um, to ruin people's lives. Um, that whole stuff is just so intrinsic to the plot. And you see that uh, that is essentially Kratos's journey throughout this. The idea of we can be better, we must be better, is his journey. And that's it's kind of all started with this meeting of um, Freya in the woods. Her realizing that he's a god, and she her telling him to tell the boy that he's a god. And the fact that the boy deserves no, him saying no, fuck off. Like, this is my son. This is my decision. I, I I'm I, I don't want to tell him that. Whatever. Um, and so again, sets up Freya for later in the game. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, I don't remember. I think it was from her hut. Yeah, it's from it's from below her hut that you start the actual main. You get to the main hub of the game. This is like four hours into the game. And it is really like here that it's also cool because um, you hit the main hub and this game does one of my favorite pieces of evolution I've ever seen. Um, where I don't know if I can barely remember what it looks like. But the first time you get to the hub, you see a you're you're rowing out onto this giant lake. And you see like a half-buried um, Thor statue in the distance. And think about how the whole area looks like at the end of the game is another reason why I think this game is incredible. Because you might remember that every like at multiple points of the game, what they don't what they do is they have to just like lower the level of that lake by interactions with the world serpent, which we'll get to in a second. But um the fact that the whole lake lowers because of how big he moves, that's that's so cool. But it also like just reveals all this like ground that's been buried. Um or like flooded, as it were. Which is all these puzzles and this Metroidvania-esque thing. Um so I had to cough there again. <clears throat> Alright. So like the the main hub of the game is this crazy thing where this is not an open world game. It's kind of like a wide linear game. But the wide parts all in this hub, like kind of a Dark Souls 2 in some extent, um, where there's like fans out and spokes. And pretty pretty much is like spokes, but it goes off in like five different directions. And with the Tears Temple in the middle. And it's so cool because... It acts like a focal point in so many ways. It's a focal point for the gameplay because it made so many things happen in Tears Temple because that's where the uh, portal between realms is um, and the world tree 
is um, channeled, essentially. But it's also like, it's this lake where you do have these giant, essentially, doors to other realms, which are for the teleporter, but they actually also end up acting like spokes in a um, in the compass of like how you even consider the map. I, I, I'm being a bit really airy-fairy here. I apologize. What I'm saying is excellent level design. <laughs> like it all comes down to that. Excellent fucking level design. Everything from the fact that there are these temples in the distance, which hits challenges to the future because some of those temples have like dudes sitting on them that you can't fight yet because you can't get up there yet because there's no ladder to get there yet because the water level hasn't sunk yet. Also, there's islands in the distance around this lake that fucking um, are like just like tips, just like little beaches, right? That are just like seem like their own little level with their combat arena and whatever. Um, but they turn out to be the tips of these giant hills that are also bigger versions of that level that are all interconnected. Um, it is incredible how they built that central area of the game. I, I, I do not know. I've, it reminds it's like the biggest water temple-esque area, if water temples were good, where the whole point is that you're lowering the, the sea level and you're revealing more of the map. But as you lower the sea level, you're also getting to like, it's also being Metroidvania where you're really parts of the map that you can't get to yet because you don't have the stuff yet, which is this great little like interconnected thing where I love seeing, I loved, I loved the, um, the novelty of that lowering the sea level, revealing more of the map um, and it gave you a progress to the game because I like, I, I knew when I saw um, Buried Things like the door statues or that they'd lower the sea level. I had a suspicion. Um, but then when I saw the sea, sea level lower and then saw things like these green orbs that I couldn't interact with at the time, um, these like some chests had thorns over them that I couldn't interact with at the time or like ladders had thorns over them that I couldn't interact with. Um, always like little things like that that made me go like, oh no, this is like, metroid in my god of war in like a really fantastic way um or castlevania in my god of war in a really fantastic way um but also like bones like they'd be like the tips of these rib this rib cage coming out of the water at the start of the game but at the end of the game there'd be this giant like these giant fucking rib cage that would go into the mountains and if you go through the middle of the rib cage there's like a fucking side quest there like it's incredible how they do that spoke system for the um the map early game and also it's cool because essentially what they're doing is they're training you to go around the lake training you to use the boat um and realize that oh the boat's not just boring while you're on the boat you have like cool little moments between kratos and atreus he tells them stories and they're terrible stories like the one about the fucking horse like actually the horse one was good i think he didn't get good credit for that one um whereas like the um this horse was wild and wanted revenge so he found the rider and the rider granted and um, granted him the rider rode him and then granted him the revenge but the rider didn't set him free and the betrayers asked him um was it worth it for the horse and he said no um like that story is actually kind of wonderful well sorry crater said the horse it wasn't worth it like no um 
that story is actually kind of beautiful and wonderful. I really, really love that one. But I forget the other ones because they're so fucking terrible. Ter- Kratos tries to sell, tell stories and they're just god-awful things. Like, just statements of fact with no start, middle, or end. Um, which is wonderful. Like, it gives you the idea of, like, his communication problems. That's essentially what Kratos is, right? He's, he just sucks at communicating at some point. Or he's just infantile in his communication, I guess. Um, coming down to all the way to, like, how he opens a crate... <laughs> If you think about it that way, like he just smashes it open with his fist and like fucking grabs the middle of the stuff from inside. Um, anyway, I, I, the, the center of the map can't say enough to it. So going back to coming from Freya's house, first interaction with the world serpent and the first time, uh, I don't think he actually lowers the water level then. I don't think he does. I think he only lowers the water level later when you talk to him using the horn with uh, Mimir. But uh, not sure. But yeah, that the talking to Wall Summit there and um, establishing this thing that he his sad story where he is the only giant left on Midgard and he cannot he speaks a language that is a full language but no one else speaks it. So him just like um speaking to you for a while and you not understanding a fucking word he's saying and then goes away like this gives us a sense of like lonely alienness to this giant being and you realize that it's not just an animal the world serpent is just a um what's his name it's not you just so that's the world tree um fuck i forget it what's name what his name is that my my thor my norse mythology fucking um is just totally escaping me even though i just fucking finished this amazing game anyway um this is going to bother me for a long time. Anyway, so the World Serpent, like, you get the idea for him as a character. And again, this is another case of... Things about I love this about this game. Every character is um, a character. Like, the World Serpent is a fucking character. You can't understand it, but you understand something about it. Like, you understand that it's lonely, essentially. It lives a lonely existence. It just spends most of its time sleeping. It is so gigantic that essentially it almost eats its own tail it makes it very difficult to get around. Anytime it does anything, it causes the end of civilizations. Like there's, um, I forget what it was, but you see these, you hear these things uh, as you travel the world. I think it might have been like those lore tablets that tell you about the time when the world serpent came and the lake started rising and killing off the whole amount of people that used to live around Tyr's temple. And this is how, how sad that is. For Like if you think about that from the case of the world serpent, um, it's just so interesting that everywhere he goes, he brings destruction. I don't think he wants to. He seems like a nice enough guy. Like he gives you back your axe, and then it just kind of goes away. Um, it's just kind of cool. Like it's, every character has so much depth to them. Um, so yeah, like that. That is the um, opening of the game, finding the central um, mark, and from there forward, it, it, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff because it really comes down to like that thing about love about God of War. In this podcast, I want to go into like the things I love. And it's that sense of exploration. Like side quests don't suck. Like maybe they're not very complex, but they all tell you. Sorry, they all are something. And this is something apparently Corey Bollard intended, which is I guess makes sense now when I look back on it. The reason for doing a side quest is interesting. Like you, you meet a ghost. It tells you its story. Kratos 
doesn't want to fucking do it because he doesn't want to help people. He doesn't want to help ghosts. He doesn't trust spirits, which is fantastic because they're staying true to his character. Um, and the innocence of Atreus comes out where he wants to help everyone. He wants to be good. He wants to like be nice and happy and free. And you get that wonderful interplay between those two characters. But beyond that, you, you have things like the pirate. So the, um, the captain being sad that his uh, soldiers all became droggers and wanting to set them free. Um, and things like that where Kratos is using these side quests to, t- to teach his son lessons about the world, like what leadership means. Um, the, what is res- the fact that leaders still make mistakes and humans make mistakes. And it's about how you deal with those mistakes. Um, that's like the lesson from that side quest. So not only are you getting the side quest itself, you're getting the amazing combat from that amazing battle system, um, but it's stacked on top of these lessons Kratos is teaching his son um, like whenever you see like this monster, like the, there's one side quest where you go into this mine and you have to, um, uh, there's a death eater. What's it called? What, what the fuck it was called? Like a, um, soul eater, big rock monster, uh, kind of hobbling around with an arm sticking out his back. And it turns out you need the ring on that arm. So the soul eater is walking around and, and Atreus is scared of it and you don't need to fight it. But, uh, Kratos is like, we will fight it. And Trey's like, why? It's like, because you are scared of it. And I love that. The Every little bit of moment of this game, like, why are we in this dungeon? Because we might get resources that we will need on our journey. Like, every little bit of this game feels true to the characters. Um, when they're exploring the air of the world, it's like, do you... Um, in other games, like Mass Effect 2 specifically, Mass Effect 3 definitely. When you're doing side quests, you're feeling like you're... A lot of cases you're like, oh shit, I shouldn't be doing the side quest. This the galaxy kind of fucking needs me. Like I need to be on this fucking shit. Um, when this is like, your wife is dead already, and Atreus wants to explore because half this journey is just because he gets to spend time like actually seeing the world and and getting to know his father. And his past where he actually says like, hey, do you want to go exploring now? Oh, oh yay, we can go explore. Um, this whole game rewards you for exploring because it gives you loot but explains why you would explore (laughs) gives you reason to explore um it gives the characters reasons to explore and it it uses the exploration to build more of the world because you find things like the lore tablets you find things like the um those uh odin like well, not Odin, but the those like doorways you open, which have a tapestry on the inside, that tell you a bit of like, like show you pictographically, either the past or the future. Which I love the fact that they say that. Like they 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 they're very unclear whether things like the the world serpent um fighting Thor or 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 not will happen in the past or will will happen in the future. Um, that stuff is just all incredible. So like. You get everything. Like, this is so... You also... Going on side quest gives you some of the best loot in the game. It gives you new moves. So skills for your for your axe um, as you go through the game. It's just incredible. Like, it... Um, and it all feels meaningful. Like, that's that's the thing. That's the main thing I want to talk about, that, that main circle, the, the Lake of the Nine. It's that, that is, like, one of my favorite 
designed areas ever in a video game. Um, that whole spot. Um, coming down to like moving the bridge across the lake with Kratos. Uh, that moment where he's like shifting the bridge and um, it's just this this wonderful God of War moment where Kratos just like, I don't know, hunches his back, digs his feet in and starts pushing against something and something the size of the bridge just fucking moves because <laughs> he's fucking Kratos. And you get this beautiful moment where Atreus is sitting next to him and it's like, wow, you're strong. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, this is God of War. Here, I'll keep skipping forward here. So, Path of the Mountain, um, a lot of it comes down to uh, meeting the witch, meeting um, Indri and, and his brother, the, the two dwarves. Um, they're both pretty fantastic. I think I didn't like them as much as other people do, but I still like them overall. Um, I kind of saw how their uh, their spat would play out, but I love the fact that it is kind of um, a commentary on building weapons to some degree. Like the fact that they split up and stuff uh, because they essentially... Well, there's two halves of it. Like they built Nolnir and it gave them fame and fortune and that got to their heads. But the other side of it was they built Molnir and it changed the world and they essentially blamed each other for their, for that and ran away from it rather than coming to face the fact that they they built the atom bomb man like that's 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 what they did that's, that's like really kind of wonderful kind of in story they tell through their um their sibling rivalry but for, even for them um there's part of this game that like i that make me laugh like even now that i think about it like the um, the fact that anytime they upgrade your items, they just like take your axe, uh, put it on the the um, the bench in front of them, and just like tap it once with a hammer, <laughs> still makes it crack up. Love it. It's like ding, upgraded, fixed, order, and gives it back to you. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, but it's all about coming to um, so the first half of getting to the mountain because that's the end goal of this whole game is getting to the top of the mountain is the black mist. You find this black mist, it's impossible, which makes you have to go to Alfheim. And Alfheim's a really cool thing. So this is the first time you get to see world hopping in this game. And it was like a huge moment for me because I didn't realize, like, I think the first time you get to Tyr's Temple, you can't go into the central chamber. Um, and it's only when you're coming back from the mountain that uh, Freya, or in this case, the Witch of the Woods, show like opens the door for you and lets you get into the temple and that is like a that was like a oh shit kind of moment for me because you saw these this temple in the middle and this temple around temples what looked like temples around the outside but you didn't understand i don't think I, I swear you did not know at the time i didn't know but those were gateways to other fucking worlds um so when you go into the central temple and you bring up the Lila Digital one, one of the most beautiful effects I've ever seen in a game. Like, because the whole point of it is it's this dark room that's lit by crystals that are just like slightly growing. Each crystal is glowing a different color. What happens is the when you go to the central chamber, there's a model of the world tree in it. And the model's glowing with this beautiful like glowing map in the center. 
and you, I don't know why I'm telling you that you've seen this, but I still want to, like, I still want to just say it out loud because I want to like illustrate how I see it. It's how beautiful this, this, the particle effects. I don't, let's just not even say that the light around, I'm going to go into technical details. The light around the world tree is stunning. Just seeing those, like those particles move up through the air, um, above the world, above the, the, the pool at the base of the world tree. Um, then she uses he or she uses the um, the light of whatever they're they're using, like in this case, the light of a bow, whatever it was the first time you do is it, um, to open the portals, and you shift. So there's a couple things like all layered here. Again, everything's layered in this game. Where you're shifting, you get this map essentially, not really a map, but you get this the overview of the lake with the um, with the temples on the outside and the bridge from the center to a temple. And that's demonstrating like what what world the lake is currently pointed at. Um, and it's cool because the top is written hints about later in the game. I was thinking things like that, like um, this world is cannot be reached yet or something like that. It's, it's like one of the messages or um, can we reach this time? Whereas other ones say this world has been like blocked by Odin. Um, you, can, you, you cannot pass here. Something like that. Which is awesome because from that part of the game, you're already hinting at things from later, not even this game, but potentially later in the series. Um, like the fact that Asgard is blocked off and you will never go there. They say they tell you that at the, the near the very start of the game, like five, six hours into the game, you never go to Asgard in this game. That immediately, like at the time, I either thought, like, okay, you either overcome Odin's block and go through it, or you might never go to Asgard in this game. This whole game might be in Midgard. Which is, which is cool to me to some extent because like okay, Midgard's beautiful and all that kind of stuff. But when you go to Alfheim, the effect of there's two things here. A fuck, you're going to a different dimension. What the fuck? I have no idea what to expect. Um, and B, the effect of it where this giant light comes from the world tree, shoots across the room at this crystal that's sitting from this door, and the crystal reflects that light around the room the whole room gets bathed in this like beautiful reflected light and all the characters are as well and it's like this amazing image and then the light dies away the light the crystal floats back to the ground and then the door is left with this glowing rune on it that like separates and then just becomes a normal door again that is just something i could see over and over and over again (laughs) it was just mind-blowing but then you open the door and it's it's cool because they do the thing where it's like same but different. You're still on the lake. You're still on the bridge between worlds or the bridge of the lake from Tia's temple. But the whole world's changed um, because you're in a different dimension. And that is that was this cool. Um, the whole Alfheim sequence is kind of interesting. I, it was strange to me personally because it felt almost like a side quest. Um but it is kind of its own self-contained story where there's, there's two warring factions with the Alfheim, the, the Light Elves and the Dark Elves, and you don't know who's the good guys. And I, I love it because it reminded me that Kratos is, in fact, the god of war. Because the whole time Atreus is like, happy-go-lucky. He's like, oh, we should help the Light Elves. It's so nice. And the Dark Elves are attacking us. They're so evil. And the whole time Kratos is going, don't take sides, boy. Like, we're, we're like, focus. We are only here for the light or whatever. Um... And that was like really cool because it reminded me that like that is actually that is so true that is so true to Kratos because he's the god of fucking war 
and it's very interesting because Tyr, even though they refer to him as the god of valor and um, something else, I forget what it is, he's also the god of war. And there's like two sides of the same coin where Tyr is this like peaceful god who's revered through all the realms. And Kratos is essentially this like fucking demon, or was at least. And you like essentially that like moment of like there's one of the many moments I realized like how deep they're looking at all these characters. Where Kratos is like, don't take sides, boy, because he knows that war isn't um isn't simple. It isn't just good guys and bad guys. Both guys are fighting for something. There's a reason they they, they came to this. It's not just like uh, the bad, the dark elves, because they're I don't know dark, um, and they don't look pretty and they don't float. Uh, they look like insects or whatever. Just because they're ugly doesn't mean they're evil. Just because they're attacking you doesn't mean they're evil. They're just they might be just defending themselves. or think they're defending themselves, which is fair because you're a fucking god walking into their realm and starting and killing them essentially. Many of them anyway. Um, some of them unprovoked. Um, so yeah, like the, the whole realm and. It's also very beautiful. Like it, it's it's one of the parts of the game where you're going from this uh, not bleak, but you're going from this icy like northern European realm to this like Lord of the Rings esque elven realm. Um, that was that was just amazing. Just like visually, that was cool. The little side quest, the story you play through there is really cool. And the first images of um, what his and Trace's relationship deepens to start start happening there. So the cool thing about that, and I'm talking about, of course, the the culmination of the Light Elves and Dark Elves scenes where you got the, the pillar of light and Kratos is to enter it and leave the axe behind for the boy to mind. Um, Corey Barlog points this out in other interviews, but when he goes into the light, and I didn't realize this at the time because you're seeing flashes of it, but they actually show you the entire journey from I think end to beginning, I think it's the other. I think it's backwards that they're about to take from their home to Jotunheim, um, which is just like so annoying. Now that I know about it, because <laughs> I didn't know at the time. I was like, oh, these are all these crazy flashes. I don't, I don't understand this stuff. But actually, they're showing you Helheim. They're showing you a bunch of other stuff like you haven't seen yet, like the boats you have, the, you haven't been on yet, and all that kind of stuff showing you the future and then going back to where you were, which is again, another layer of who the fuck is Faye? Who the hell is Faye? Um, I bet there are a million uh, people in Neogaf like speculating about this. I bet there's a bunch of fan theories already and knowing what she's about and what she's done in the past. And But she's a guardian of the giants. Um, and it makes me wonder like, why did the light show him the future? Or was it, in fact, showing you her last moments or something? But the whole time, it's telling, like, you're hearing the inner voice of your kid and how he wishes that Kratos had died and his mother had lived instead. Um, and just, Yeah, that was just a whole interesting part I just wanted to talk about. I don't know. That was just really cool. It made me think. Um, and when he comes out the other side, it's again, made me realize, like, oh, my now that I think back, I was like, wow, that was a long game. Because he comes out the other side, and I forgot this even happened until I'm thinking about it like now-ish. But uh, for the next like 
two hours or so. Uh, turns out where you're in the light for your t- your subjective time, it was like moments. For um, the boy's subjective time, it might have been like minutes or hours. Come out to the sea of corpses that fucking Atreus has killed with his bow and your axe. Um, and he's fucking pissed at you. Like he's in your face. Because um, like you left me and all this kind of stuff. And you said you wouldn't leave again. Um, and he's just kind of a dick to you for the next hour or two of, of actual gameplay. Um, and that was actually kind of awesome. Because, yeah, like I just love the uh, the whole interplay there where you'd say something and he wouldn't respond or you'd just do what he wants or he just wouldn't do like... Um, wouldn't do what you said or just mutter under his breath. And I remember myself as a kid doing just that. And part of it, and the reason I love this game is because the characters, that's another moment where these characters just feel like people. Kratos doesn't, is no longer the avatar of anger. Um, he's like deep. He is a deep character in this. Like he doesn't actually know how to deal with his son being an asshole. <laughs> like he doesn't ever like shake him and go, shut up boy or anything like that. Um, he kind of gets it. Um, he doesn't say he's sorry. Well, not, I don't think he ever says sorry, but he, when um, when Atreus tells him it's been so long since he left, and he's like, it's just been moments or whatever. Right? You can tell that he's like surprised by that and actually kind of saddened by that. Some some extent, like worried for his boy. Um, but at the same time, Atreus doesn't get that. He's just fucking pissed at his shitty dad who left him behind for hours to dance in the light for a while. Um, and Trace had to pull him out of the light, which means he had to like burn himself to get to get Kratos back out of the light. Um, but no, that's all like. But him being a dickhead to you for that for the next like hour or so was pretty great. And then when they're um, floating back on the boat, and he has that moment with him, was like, just because I don't say anything doesn't mean I'm not grieving. Um, again, like, fuck, man, this game is deep. Um, it doesn't sound deep when you when you just pick out the single moments when a character finally says what he's thinking but if you look at how they construct those moments with things that happened before the things that happen after it the facial expressions the acting the um animations like i wonder how much of this game they motion captured i have no idea so much of it is so fluid and and clearly canned um animation of like walking and climbing and um combat etc but then like seamlessly transitioned into like really well mo-capped moments of facial expressions between two characters talking to one another it might just be on a boat it might be in a house or like a little hut with the witch or whatever but just seamless beautiful transitions to these like actual what look like actors acting and the the line delivery is just amazing and the voice acting is incredible. Like Kratos, I forget the name of the actor, but it's goddamn incredible. So when he has that heart-to-heart with Atreus, and Atreus finally understands that, no, 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 Kratos is grieving. He just doesn't show it the way he does. Um, It's kind of... That was like one of those moments that stuck with me. Like, oh, okay. You guys know how to direct and write and act and all those things that make this game something special. Um... Anyway, so that was the light of Alfheim. Then you go into the mountain. Um, the the highlight from inside the mountain, aside from the, the awesome puzzle solving, all that kind of stuff, I want to touch on here is holy shit! It's been an hour. Okay, I need to speed through some of this. Oh fuck it, whatever. 
it's a cynical supplement. If you're if you're interested, you can see that. Um, Dragon Fight, Dragon Fight. You you wouldn't be surprised. Like sorry, the elevator and then the Dragon Fight, both incredible. Um, this is the crazy thing about like going through this game from start to finish. Where like at some points I'm I'm like retelling the game, which is obviously not helpful to anyone who's played it before. But um, as I do this, I keep stumbling upon amazing things that happen in this game that just again because it's thirty something hours long for me or forty hours long, just kind of happened like so much time ago for me now, and I just thinking back I was like holy shit that was incredible like so the the elevator was one of my favorite things when it happened in this game just because of that uh, it was one of those times where the the one camera shot thing no cutting actually lent itself to the game because the sense of scale of going up this fucking the internals of a mountain on this giant elevator was made so much more real by the fact that it took forever <laughs> it took so long it's like 10 minutes or something to get up this sorry this mountain and when you crash into the side of something and your enemies attack or whatever and you have to set yourself free by Kratos like jumping off the side and like pushing with his legs to like um, separate the the uh, elevator from the walls like all that stuff all the way up the mountain was just so like epic like again this game has spectacle in spots that are just like I have never seen something like that in the game. like you think like, what is an equivalent thing like Lord of the Rings is the only other thing I can think of like that's them going through the inside of a mountain and there's so different experiences like the sense of scale of being lifted on this giant fucking um this giant elevator for those 10 minutes and seeing the this carved out internal the dwarves of this universe did dwarves carved out the inside of the, this inside of this mountain and you're seeing all these structures and like not necessarily always structures but like rock formations and stru- and sometimes structures in the distance it's like going past and fading away and the amount of art involved in that um not only on the dwarf side in fiction but like the artist sides in real life who had to add like actually draw this like fleeting instant of seeing this thing on the rock as you go past on your elevator in this one scene of this one fucking video game is just goddamn incredible <laughs> like all of that is just insanity um it reminds me of what they did for the last of us where um people praise that game for good reason for um every room you went into in the last of us as you like scrounging through people's houses to pick up whatever salt peter to make your bombs or whatever um every room felt like it'd be lived in and the reason they were able to do that is because they just had that many artists like they outsourced and did a bunch of things so they just like push people at that game to make just a gigantic amount of art and it feels like they did the same for this game where just the inside of that mountain was more art than some games have um, i'm not saying that just amount of art is a um a measure of of quality but in this case it was not only a large amount of art, but also a large amount of high quality art delivered in a way to deliver a point of holy shit, how crazy is it that we taking an elevator up a mountain? That's the point they're giving. And it's just like a whole thing. A whole thing. That's just one part of this level. And then you get to the dragon fight, which was kind of awesome. Um, I really like the for me personally. I like the spectacle and scale of the dragon fight more than dragon fight itself. Um, for me, I didn't realize I could block the the shock waves 
which is stupid. I, sh- I tried to roll through them, tried to jump over them. You can't jump. So it was like kind of weird and trapped in this. I felt trapped in this little area, and I didn't like the mechanic of um, picking up this, the bombs and throwing at the dragon. I felt kind of dumb. I'd rather just actually fight it. But then when you're fighting, you're just hitting its toes, and that feels dumb too. So it was like it's weird because you couldn't. They couldn't. They were constrained by the scale of the thing they created for you to fight, and also this the um, the limited tools available to Kratos aside from these bombs. But that aside, I loved. The visual design of the fight, the fact that the, the dragon comes out of nowhere, attacks the um, elevator, and then like slams you around, all that kind of stuff. That was be- like, that was a like, oh shit moment. Like a, holy shit, like there's a really quiet calm at the end there. Some of it's obviously not because you get fought along the way when you get stuck, but this quiet calm last stretch of the the elevator ride, and this fucking dragon comes up fucking no and just like slams into you, just like giant fucking huge again sense of scale like it's nothing like the world summit the world summit is something i've never seen before the dragon was close and i haven't seen a dra- i don't think i've seen a dragon that big in a game before um it's of the same size as bahamut in final fantasy 15 <laughs> in terms of size like in fact a lot of this game felt like Final Fantasy Fifteen, like Leviathan, Final Fantasy Fifteen for the World Serpent, but this game had it even bigger somehow, um, and also more realistic looking somehow because obviously the engine's different, but still like it just the dragon like was amazing when it comes at you, and and I love the fact that it breathes lightning. That is so cool. I hadn't realized that about Norse mythology when I when I play this game. I don't, I'm not even sure if it's true to the mythology. I don't care. It's fucking awesome that dragons breathe lightning in this universe. I don't fucking... That's just that's just, just fucking so cool. Like, beams of electricity coming out of his face. The, the crackle of it. Like, the light it creates. The yellowish glow. And it's, and it lets things... This doesn't make sense, but who cares? Yellow fire across the ground when, when, um, when they spit lightning. So cool. I um, mean, in this cute little arena, and obviously you're, you're helping Sindri at that point. And that was a cute little moment with, like... Um, Atreus when he helps Sindri and Kratos being like fine um that was all cool um but yeah like the fight itself I didn't necessarily like but I love the spectacle of it and that was really cool and then obviously obviously you get the the green arrows which comes later so again like layers layers on top of layers on top of layers on top of layers like Sindri is here because of these green arrows that he found that he is bringing to you gives to um Atreus and those become really pivotal in the future of the game but it just happens here um the dragon is reflective of other dragons you fight or don't fight, but you are around later in the game. Like there's so many little layers here, um, and 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 that's why I would get like this podcast can go forever because every scene I look at, if you unpack it, so many elements of like not only visual design but game design. Like so, like talk about like the base of the elevator, right? Teaching you to um, freeze gears is what that does. Like it teaches you to freeze gears because before that point you'd hit like small gears when um, you're opening doors or whatever, like with chains, etc., to freeze them. So you can walk to the door and then call back your axe to you, which by the way is amazing. And I haven't talked about that yet and I don't care because there's too much stuff to talk about, but you all know the fucking axe is incredible. Um, but one other part of it is at the base of this fucking um, mountain, when you're trying to figure out how to use the giant claw, um, it teaches you that, oh no, with this type of gear, you have to freeze this element of it. 
which bring together the freezing of it, the visual design of making it that gear look different, and the fact that there's a second part of the gear next to it, visually interesting enough to draw your attention to realize that, oh, no, maybe I should freeze that. Also, just seeing this giant claw, like, again, sense of scale, this giant claw coming in and out of this whole level in real time as you're manipulating this fucking giant gear. Um, but also, just under the claw to the left is, like, this um, area that's got these elements of things you can't do yet, like the lightning arrow, uh, the shock arrow, red crystal stuff that you can't do anything with yet is there, right there, and you look at it like, like a Metroidvania, it's like, oh, I can't interact with that yet. Like, all these little things. Also, that level is, the base of the mountain level is gigantic because two levels snapped together, separated by this wall, and the, and the wall you lift in order to bring one gigantic minecart from one part of the level to the other, which is great because the minecart is not only just a minecart, but also is a platform for you to stand on, which brings you together the verticality of the level. Can you get the point that the levels in this game are fucking incredible? <laughs> like, everything is verticality, layering, plot, um, but especially when it comes down to like little things like the, the scrolling on the walls and the, the glyphs, etc. Um, different kinds of enemies, the combat in this game. Uh, I haven't even gotten to that yet, aside from the combat system itself. Different kinds of enemies. Every, almost every area you go into, you meet a different kind of enemy. Even if it's just like a slight reskin of another, but they, they behave differently. Um, it's one of the one things I liked about the Forgotten in Destiny 2. So Destiny 1 when they introduced with the Taken King, that yes, they were reskins, but they behaved differently. That was cool. In this case, there's so much difference between a fast Draugr uh, to a, um, the, uh, not runic weapons, but like the, the empowered weapon, power weapon Draugr, whatever they call them. Um, fighting each of those is such a different kind of experience. Um, and that's all introduced as part of this level to like get to this minecart to bring it over, to bring this fucking hook down, to lift it up so you can go a whole thing. <laughs> a whole thing just to get up the fucking mountain. Um, anyway, I guess that I guess brings us to the top of the mountain, um, which is where you meet Mimir. Um, and that was a cool thing because I've heard of Mimir before and I've heard of the man stuck in the tree. But seeing him is great. His voice act is incredible. I love the interaction between him and Kratos. Um, and the again, the, the second step of that story of Kratos being told to tell his son the truth it comes from Mimir. And I love the Kratos' response to that. This is just another moment I love that I wanted to say out loud. Um, I'm going to cut off your head now. <laughs> Just like, thank you. Thank you, writers. That's all he would say. That's all he needs to say. It's like the biggest shut the fuck up ever. Um, but I love that, yeah. And, and putting Mimir on your uh, on your belt, um, opening that way to Jotunheim, seeing the end of the game come up for a split second and go away. At that point, I actually thought that, that you'd go to Jotunheim, especially since you'd just been to Alfheim. I thought Jotunheim would be his whole own world. Um which I was like, wow, this, this game is long. And I, didn't, I hadn't seen anything yet. I was At that point, you're still like seven, ten hours into the game. You hadn't seen fucking anything yet. Because, um, of course, then, second boulder attack happens, which is one of the coolest boss fights in the game. Like, I didn't, my, I didn't like the first dragon fight that much. But the second one, which is the boulder fight, actually just the boulder fight, where he takes off Atreus 
you get the Spartan Rage, you jump after them, you end up on this fucking dragon, you're fighting Boulder on the back of a dragon as you're flying through the world, and you're killing this dragon to get your son back. Oh my god, like, I, even the fact that they introduced um, what would annoy, usually be annoying mechanics of this, like, mini-game, where Boulder hits you and you have to block, and then when he, like, does a slam, you have to, like, um, do to the right or left to avoid the slam, then you can counter... Even like even like a mini game kind of fight sequence like that was still a controlled well was responsive was fine but b looked incredible because you're in the back of a fucking dragon flying through the fucking clouds over fucking Midgard it's goddamn awesome <laughs> like holy crap that whole thing was so cool um, and when the dragon crashes you um, oh wow am I think am I just like a couple steps ahead here. Yeah, I guess I am. One part of this I really wanted to talk about, which I which I hadn't haven't yet, is um has it happened yet? Fuck. I trying to remember when you told the boy that um you were a god. I guess it's not yet. It's not yet. No, 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 this hasn't happened yet. Okay. Boulder stuff haven't yet, because you have to get the chisel first. That's right, that's right, that's right. Get to the top of mountain. You find about um, Amir, and then you realize that they can't do anything yet because they need a chisel. And then you go get the chisel. Only thing I have to say about this chisel sequence is, okay, I love the boss fight with the two sons of Odin. That's a cool thing. It was well set up to some degree. I don't really care about them as characters, but they're also not big characters in the first place, so who cares? Um, but it was like kind of interesting because I introduced the mechanic of like well, probably one of my favorite things in fights in this game even though I hate playing it, I love the visual idea of it. But when they blind you in that boss fight, I guess I'm jumping around the place, but now I'm, I'm talking about definitely just that, that whole side quest with the um, hammer and the chisel. Um, when you find them, A, the sense of scale is amazing because the chisel is fucking gigantic and the giant is gigantic. Um, but B, like that fight with the, the two brothers where they blind you, you're in this middle thing, right? And um, it actually cuts to a separate scene whereas, where Kratos is actually trying to stay between them and Atreus. And that is like such a cool image to me that I love and then and that sticks with me now that I think about it. Um, where Atreus is in the middle and you have to like, the controls of it I think are kind of sketch. Like you're circling around them in like a circle and you use your analog stick to determine which part of the circle like you're, you're facing. And then the two brothers will show up and you have to raise your shield and you block their attack from you and Atreus, etc. But just the image of when shit gets real and, and everything and the enemies have disappeared, Kratos steps in front of Atreus and puts his shield out. That was really cool. I just love little touches like that. I just love it. They didn't have to put that in the boss fight. They could have just had a normal boss fight with you and a health bar and wheeling them down and taking them out, whatever. But um, yeah, that was cool. When, when they... Yeah, when, fuck that whole thing holy shit yeah and then that wow i just like i skipped a lot of stuff thinking about the boulder fight so the first time you don't you don't fight boulder so much stuff happens between those two things holy cow i'm just looking at the ign thing i should have been following this i apologize i apologize forget about my dragon talk forget about the boulder talk hasn't happened yet the two dragon fights don't happen that close together that should be the top off um so the chisel thing dropping the chisel Really cool scene. Um, getting the chisel tip, killing the brothers, which is kind of cool. Um, 
But then the, you have the sequence of behind the lock. Um, so that's the name of this chapter. And this is one of those ones where I, I like I'd forgotten somewhat about this in, in the game. And this is just about getting to Tyr's temple. Um and then essentially going back up to the top of the mountain. Like now you have the chisel tip. Your, your whole job is to go back up to the top of the mountain. But so much happens between these two things. Because um essentially what happens is First of all, because you have the chisel tip, you get to see the Valkyries. <laughs> Whole other thing. Uh, well, the first doors you you see in the um, mountain area when you're getting the chisel tip is this locked door that you've seen another way in the game. And we're coming back out, you see the locked door again, and now you've got the chisel, you can open it. And that was the first Valkyrie I fought. Apparently that's the easiest Valkyrie in the game. Um, but holy shit. Holy shit, that Valkyrie. Um, that reminded me of two things. One, I love the fact that they put the checkpoint right before the fight in every Valkyrie room. They also have a like, health pots there in case you need them. And um, they have the uh, portals for later in the game in case you want to go back to them. Amazing design. Thank you. Um, but the Valkyrie fights themselves, fucking love them. I love them so much. I love hard fights in games. And the combat system is just right for this. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it because it's almost at two hours or something. An hour and a half already. Holy shit, this podcast is going for a long time. I hope it's not boring. I don't know. Whatever. I just need to get this out somewhere on the internet. Um... But the, so you get the chisel tip, you find the first Valkyrie door, you go down, and I had no idea, because you open the door, and I assumed it would just be like a treasure chest on the other side, like a Metroid, like a classic Metroidvania thing, where it's like, oh yeah, you, you, these all these locked doors you saw as you walk into the game, they just have cool treasures in them, you just have to find them again. Nah. You get, you open this door, and it's a hallway, and like, okay, alright, and it leads to this weird, like, kind of protective light field which makes me wonder what the hell that is in the future because you don't really see that it looks like Alfheim magic it looks like the Alfheim light that you've captured before but in this case it's like um it's it's a wall that's holding back something it's like okay that's interesting and you get this like lever in the ground and you pull the lever and it's like this deep elevator going down and it's like oh shit and I think it's Mimir who says, um, this is where Odin locks something, locks things away. It's like, oh, okay. Might still be treasure, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Or, but then he's like, oh, it might be a prison or something. Like, I forget what it was, but it's something ominous. And he's like, uh-huh. You get to the bottom, it's a small room. And again, as I said, health pots everywhere, a portal there. I was like, okay, this is probably something interesting like an optional boss or something and i was right but it's done in such a cool way like you you walk into the central room the first valkyrie i thought you walk into the central room and it's just a circle just a plain circular room um with like 
beautiful ornamental outside and the beautiful tree kind of like above it's like down like roots above you somehow and this um this try like this it reminded me of like no man's sky like this uh symbol floating in the air in front of you that's all it is it looks like this like three-dimensional like um carving that looks like a uh like an acorn, I guess you could say it, or just like a diamond. Um, this diamond carving just like floating in the air in front of you. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. But then you, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Mimir spoils it. I think he might. He might go, oh, that's a Valkyrie. And I'm like, huh, okay. Valkyries are good, right? <laughs> And you walk up to it. I'm pretty sure it comes. So this this floating diamond unfurls itself, revealing that those were wings. And inside is a Valkyrie. And their eyes are like red order. It's like, oh no, they've been corrupted or something. And what followed was like two hours of <laughs> the hardest fight I've had in a long time. It was more like a 45 minutes or an hour or something. It was one of the hardest fights in that game, um, especially because I was, I was not that high level. I hadn't, I had, I was on level two gear because I was like just saving up all my materials for later. I knew I'd, I'd use them later for higher level stuff, so I had like no gear. Um, oh, Axe was upgraded obviously because upgrades is part of the main plot. Um, but it was just a fucking knockdown, drag out brawl, and and you had to use, I had to use every resource available that's i love the valkyrie fights in this game that's one of my favorite things about that chisel level not the chisel itself even though that was awesome not the crazy stuff with like knocking down the gigantic hammer in the distance that was in the distance at the start of the game but it's now like above you like the height of a skyscraper you're just knocking down this hammer through the ice to break down into this to find the tip of this chisel um which is also gigantic which is through a giant's head by the way, and you use things on his beard to get around, whatever. All that is cool. My favorite thing about the whole level is the Valkyrie fight. <laughs> um, I forget what the first one, I think the first one is just a normal brawler type. It's just, it's just got a scythe and chakra that she throws at you. And it's just a case of like, keep on your toes, keep moving keep the shield up make sure you hit get the hits you can don't get greedy um when it flies in the air make sure you interrupt her attack don't you need a dodge you need to watch for um the red flash for her to do an unbrockable move if you don't dodge fast enough or if you dodge the wrong direction she'll either grab you and slam you to the ground and do half your health worth of damage or she'll hit you with the chakra which will do half your health worth of damage every hit she does hurts like a motherfucker unless you're blocking um Except for like her normal chakras, which are okay, but they don't hurt that much. But the rest of the things she does is fucking sting. And it really was a case like just, I, it was beautiful because the fight doesn't feel unfair. It just felt like I had to get it down. It reminded me of people who do like Manus fights, soul level one, Dark Souls. I'm nowhere near that good. But it reminded me of doing something similar where I was definitely underleveled. I felt like I was unleveled. Everything she's doing almost killed me in one hit. Almost. Or at least like one or two hits. Easy. Um, but I had to like keep my guard up. Keep moving. 
And it was awesome because I found myself, I found myself improving during the fight, learning the fight like I did with Dark Souls. And you do things like, okay, at this point in the fight, I need to make sure I have at least this much damage on her. If I don't, when she inevitably kills me, just give up. But if I have this much damage done, then I can use my um, Spartan Rage, keep a lock on, keep pummeling her because I can regain my health up to this level of health. Okay, now I'm this part far through the fight. It's been six tries, but now I've gotten to the point where I can get this far through the fight with this much health, get her down this far, get my health back from Spartan Rage, and then she'll obviously, because she gets more tough as the fight goes on, she'll kill me again. Then I can use my Revive Stone. Revive Stone's a cool idea, and I love the one that gives you Spartan Rage. I ho- I prefer one that gives you just full health again, but I'm, I'm happy they didn't give me that option because that would be the only option I used. It's far more interesting to have to deal with the fact that um, with the Revive Stone, you go down, you come back up, you have the choice between fucking barely any health, which isn't really a choice, some health, which is, what, which is somewhat fair, or come back with almost no health but with full Spartan Rage. That's one I chose um, consistently through the game because of this Valkyrie fight, which taught me how good that is. Because she gets you down, you get back up from that one stone, one revive stone you get per, uh, until you buy another one, essentially. Um, and I was able to make me, like, be able to come back and equalize the fight. Because Spartan Rage does so much damage, or you're capable of doing so much damage that you can, like, essentially like, get your... It got to the point where um, after seven, eight, nine, ten tries, I forget what it was, I would I would be getting to her being on her last block of health. Like if you look at those health bars for some Valkyries, at the bottom of the screen, they, they cover most of the bottom of the screen. They all have notches in them, like Bloodborne, Bloodborne or um Souls. And there'll be like 15, 20 notches on these health bars. And she'd be on her last notch where she finally gets me. There was a couple of times towards the end there that I was like one hit away because just how well balanced the fight was and how like able I was to adapt to it because of how good the combat system was. It gave me the abilities. I, was, I had to change up some of my skills, put in XP into them to level them up. Um, I, I changed what I, which um, super I had for my, well, whatever, my summon I had for the kid. I'm pretty sure I had summons by the point. I just had to like think on my feet so much and learn how to use Spartan Rage with Lock-On, probably, because I hadn't been using with Lock-On at that point. Um, and it taught me how to use Spartan Rage with Lock-On, which is a massive bonus for further in that game. Um, and then learning to pace out. Okay, yes, she dropped her health orb. Don't use the health orb yet. Wait till she's, like, damaged enough to use the health orbs that she dropped and slam them when you can get your shield up just after and she's far enough away that she wants to be able to exploit your weakness. And, like, little pacing things like that, you learn about fighting in general, but that fight in specific. Um, that teaches you about the game, teaches you about the combat. And then when you finally bring her the fuck down, it feels like a fucking achievement, and that was amazing. Like, I felt leveled, and I felt like I beat something that was actually hard. And that was incredible. And on top of that, it gives you so much XP. It gives you, like, a, like 18,000 XP or something, compared to, like, 4,000 for doing a main quest objective, right? So 18,000 experience for beating this boss and you get epic loot and you get the benefit of the the the, um, the wonder of beating her in the first place. That was all fucking incredible. Anyway, 
So with that, coming back from the chisel thing, and um, along the way, the boy gets sick. And I forget what why like he was. Oh yeah, that's right. So um, he's talking to like the 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 brothers are essentially like pushing his buttons, um, and he gets madder and madder at them because they're insulting his mother. And he when he gets mad, he gets sick. Um, in fact, when they um, make him really mad, uh, he tries to go into Spartan rage. Like you see him like form the same like fist maneuver as Kratos and like glow red for a second, and then he passes out because of the sickness. And the sickness is built built up. I haven't talked about it yet, but he's he's sick and start of the game. The reason he's not ready because he can't control controls anger. Because when he gets angry, he gets sick. It's like a plot point. They build it through the game. They they executes in that point. In just after getting the chisel and the lock and getting behind the lock, um, and he gets sick, which is really interesting. A point, um, because he finally passes out, and it's like a whole that's like another moment in this game, which leads to the best moment in the game, by the way. Um, easily my favorite moment of the whole game, uh, but he gets sick. And you have to take him back to the witch. And she um, tells you that you need a heart from Nilfheim, the land of ice. I think it is. I'm pretty sure that's right. Nilfheim, right? No, Helheim. Helheim, land of ice and death. I.e. hell. Hetratos is going to hell again. Because you must get the heart of the bridge keeper um, for his cure. And it's such a cool thing. Because it's like this low point for Kratos. Like, again, you, you, this this relationship between Raiders and his son is so amazing to this game. And you... <coughs> one of my favorite moments is him carrying um, Atreus to the witch. And just like beating her, her on her door. And he's like... She's like, go away. I'm not interested in talking to you, whatever, because he's a dick or whatever, because he's fucking Kratos. And um, he's like, the boy is sick or whatever, and she opens the door for him. I think by this point, you know she's Freya. No, no, you don't, because this is the first time she meets Namir. Um, I think. Um, so yeah, she, she takes the boy in and... He's horribly sick because his inner demon, sorry, his inner god is coming out. He's conflicting with his mental image of himself as a human. He's trying to suppress his powers or subconsciously suppressing his powers because he thinks he's human. But he is, in fact, a god like Kratos. Um, and that's fucking with his, like, I don't know, body. And you see Kratos pacing around this room feeling terrible and, like, um, like there's the whole feeling of it, like, you get, you get a lot from it. And then you get the, the, the bad news of <coughs> you have to go to Helheim and kill the bridge keeper. But your axe will not work in Helheim because the land of ice and no ice can work, can damage them. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure Mamiya says something like no fire as of um, Midgard can survive in the frosts of Helheim either. 
and that starts the best sequence of this game where it's like um i know what will i what he's saying essentially he's saying is i know what will work in the in the cold of helheim i must go home i'm getting shivers just thinking of it man um Sorry, I had to go off there. Um, and for it is like, take my boat, and it'll take you home. And that's, you know it, man. You know it. You're sitting at home. If you listen to this and you play the fucking game, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the trip back to his house for uh, to get the Blades of Chaos. Holy shit. When, when, it's crazy because... When he said, I have to go home, I thought he meant back to Greece. <laughs> and I was like, that's, there is no fucking way you're going, Greece is in this game. Um, but he meant the house, which is fair. Uh, that's when she just, there's something about the game direction at this point that made me go from, this is a pretty good game to, this is something special and something I'll remember maybe forever. Like this sequence right now might be maybe something I'll remember forever. Because in all the it's it's not just the game itself, but everything. From the pre-release to then, all the pre-release footage shows you just the axe. But the axe won't work in Helheim. All the combat system in the game, just the axe. The axe is so deep. You have the upgrade system, you have the enchantment system, you have skills, you have all the stuff, you have the skill trees only about the axe this whole time the whole game is built you taught you how to enter combat with the axe how to engage certain types of enemies with the axe how to deal with range enemies how to deal with up close how do you use your light and heavy attack everything about it it's like the axe is a deep system that would be as deep as anything in most video games today it was all about that but when he said that the axe won't work in helheim but Kratos knows what fucking will. I got shivers. <laughs> I got deep, deep shivers. Him getting to that boat. And this is such a cool thing. But he did, because it's Freya's boat and it's enchanted with magic, magic he doesn't have to um, row it. So he sits in this boat and, he, and he's thinking about the past and what he will do to save his son. He will dredge up the past to save Atreus. Um, and you have this great thing with Athena's ghost, or whatever it is, a vision of Athena in the boat next to him. And this is pretty much, I'm not sure if it's because I have an HDR television, but there's something about that whole sequence that just looked like something else, like some, like something movie quality or surpassing other games that I've ever seen in the past of him and that boat going through the cave with uh, Athena in front of him on the boat, just giving him that, that knowing look that he is this, that he's returning to what he was, the monster he used to be by going back and getting this tool that will help him in Helheim. And you know that he's struggling with the fact that he has come so far from his past that he he knows that if he takes up what he will 
it'll change everything for him. He will have to face his past. He'll have to show Atreus his past. That's part of it, right? If he if he take if he if he recovers a relic from his past, it'll be on him. He'll have to show it to other people. People will know about his past because of that. Only one person wielded those things. So he's on this boat, and on top of the, the beautiful art design of being on this boat through this like dark, dingy, like um, cavern but the sky goes red and ash starts falling or not ash but sparks starts falling from the, falling from the sky because it's sunset at night time essentially that's what it's conveying to you it's sunset and he's rowing home that's all it is it's a it's a convenience of timing from a world perspective but from a direction perspective it is spectacular because it's dark and the sky is red and it is storming and he's and he's traveling home on this boat and you see these animals who are fleeing from you sure but also fleeing from the thunder and lightning of the storm but it creates this like atmosphere of like dread around his what he's going to do the world is dreading what kratos is about to do and kratos is dreading what he is about to do so he goes back to his home and he does this great thing where these like ice enemies show up and against them your axe isn't that effective which is demonstrating you the future of your axe will not work in Helheim. So yeah, like for many people, it goes way faster. If like if you throw, if you don't use the axe, you use your fists and you beat through these ice enemies. There's quite a few of them as well, and you eventually free up the the area around your house and you go inside. And the lighting is just, it's just dark in there and the only thing you can see is the lightning through the cracks in the walls and the windows and the um the vision of like the dark red sky and trees to the outside and the like shaft of light from the outside through the through the uh, the little like log cabin on the floor that highlights like the the rug he's thrown over this gap in the ground that at the start of the game he told atreus well, Atreus told the audience that Kratos told him never to go down there. Why did he never go down there? Because he lifts up the fucking hatch. He takes out this like beautifully wrapped package. And he like mournfully lays it down and unwraps it to reveal the blades of fucking chaos. shaking my head now i just shivers man just fucking shivers just shivers the music swells i'm pretty sure the music or the thunder swells i forget what it was i need to rewatch this scene on youtube because it's up there and um it's it's beautiful because the blades are ex they're not characterized they're not changed they look exactly how they looked in the old games like there's obviously there's that weird thing and I don't know how everything works out but there was that he had the blades of chaos but there was also like these the blades of um, isolation or what like something else there was this he actually had two sets of blades the blades of Athena was another name for there's like there's there multiple sets of blades in the past they all had the same basic design but I forget which ones were um, what he's supposed to have people brought up weird things I don't care about any of that these things looked like the shitty 
90s design or early 2000s design ethic, like edgy looking Blades of Chaos from the original God of War. Everything down to like the weird spiky serrations on them. They were fucking beautiful. Rendered on the PS4 in this engine, in that lighting, that, that light and darkness of his house, the thunder going in the background, washing over these old blades, rendered in realistic beauty. And he picks them up and he puts the chains around his arms. And then Athena comes in and says, I knew it. You are always a monster. Something along those lines, which is beautiful. And Kratos says, yes, but I am no, your monster no longer. Something along those lines. Never been as hyped <laughs> in a game in my life. Never. I think um, the only thing that comes close is seeing this Normandy 2 in Mass Effect 2. After you get after you lose the Normandy at the start of Mass Effect 2 and get it again midway through that game. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. It's Mass Effect 2, right? Almost certain. Yeah, because Cerberus gives it to you. Getting the second Normandy a bit into Mass Effect 2 was the only time that ever came close to this. Getting the Blaze of Chaos in God of War for PS4. Next level shit. And he, so him picking them up, putting them around his arms, they did the amazing thing of outside, so, because they know he's there, a lot of more enemies now swarming his hut and like coming towards him. And I almost like, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was choking up or like screaming out loud or this, I just had all of the feels because when you use the Blade of Chaos, they feel like the Blades of Chaos. The animations, the lighting, the sound, the impact in the enemies, the like, the shouts Kratos makes, the lines they leave in the ground, the arcs they make in the air, just fucking, they feel like the Blades of Chaos. And I was just over fucking joyed the whole combat system changes in that split second when you finally hit r1 or r2 for the first time with those in your hands in this game it is so different from using the axe and it is absolutely fucking wonderful <laughs> that was overjoyed um yeah that's my reactions to that scene <laughs> Blades of Chaos, and then you just fucking mow through like 20 or 30 enemies with these things um, and I think Mimir say something like well they're impressive or something like that like the whole like wow or something like that. it's just everything just comes that I think that's the pinnacle of the game I think that is the moment of the game where Kratos becomes Kratos again um, he accepts his past and brings it into his new present to save his boy um to venture into hell itself to bring back the heart of his enemies so his boy can be safe. Like that, something about that moment is just poetic and beautiful and perfect in every way. Um, and from there forward, I almost exclusively use the blades. Like I use the axe a lot. In fact, the axe is incredibly powerful. Even in endgame content, 
um, especially execution strike, which is just holding R two and just getting that hat out. That's like the strongest hit in the game. Single hit I can think of. It's it it two execution strike rival against a Valkyrie rival like the blade. So a full um volley from in in Spartan rage mode. Like there's so much damage. So I use the axe quite a lot, but for most of the game from there forward, I use the blades of chaos for good reason because a they feel incredible, they sound incredible, they look incredible. Uh, but B, they just, they feel right, man. They felt right and they earned it. They earned it with this game. And not only that, they have their whole own skill tree, their own um, skill attacks, their own upgrades. It is, fuck it. They didn't fuck around with these things. Um, anyway, so back to the game. I'm going to, again, keep skipping forward here because we're almost at the end here. Really. In real terms, we're almost near the end. Um, yeah, like going back and and getting your boy back to life was cool because not only for that and the emotional impact that had of the the kid being well again, but that's when the reveal comes where um, Kratos finally says, "I am a god and you are a god too," and that's like the second stage in his bigger emotional journey where um. He's finally admitting to himself that his boy is, is a god and they'll have to deal with this because he hates the gods. But he is one. And so is his son that he loves. And that's just a, a, a beautiful little like um moment that like I think it's wonderful how the kid reacts to it, because it felt exactly like how a kid would react to it, which is like, Can I turn into a wolf? Like the best best reaction for from a kid character in a game <laughs> um finding out you're a god and then immediately thinking of the positives that is so cool um but then again like like the alfheim i talked about earlier is a very cool part because the next half next many hours of the game the kid goes through his journey of coming to terms with being a god and that is just it felt real in some ways, like it was felt rushed, to be honest. If I was to be, to be totally fair, it felt a bit rushed. His going through the stages of that. Um, coming to terms with power, what being eternal means. Um, <clears throat> the fact that he doesn't actually care because they, they can live forever. Uh, the fact that he can, like gods do anything, that doesn't, so does not mean he can do anything he wants. And seeing that reflected in um, Thor's brother, sorry, Thor's son, I forget his name, Midney, whatever, was so cool. And how, how the kid reacts to that as they scale back up the mountain. Because this is back where they return to the summit, which is where he finally fucking has the boulder fight, which I skipped forward to ages ago. Um, that whole return to the summit sequence of um, him coming to, him being just a dick. And with a shitty kid with like a spoiled rich kid kind of syndrome, um, not caring about people, uh, like snapping at Sindri for like being shit to his brother and like just get over it or whatever, um, was really cool. And, and like, I was so enamored with having the blades again, having that for combat. But if you think about the whole scene, it's still storming at the time. Like they're using all like the beautiful dramatic effects 
to establish that things aren't right in the world. The kids has like a shitty expression in his face. Like he's um, part of like my personal opinion on it is I think that because Kratos's power is born from anger, that same anger was passed to his son through his powers. Um, the powers are essentially a manifestation of anger, which is why anger made him sick um, when he got sick. Um, so this kid is essentially dealing with all these new emotions because he's accepting that half himself that is this angry force that he inherited from his father. Um, so like he he goes into it being a dick to everybody, being a dick to Sindri, being a dick to like stabbing a, a defeated foe. Um... And the the charged moments between him and Kratos, where Kratos is like, to some extent, he's he doesn't know how to deal with his son being a dick because he's such a nice kid up until that point. But now he's just being a total asshole. Um, so him be dealing with his son being a dick, and he's like, you will do what I say. Is essentially, what is it like? He's still foremost, first and foremost, concerned with delivering the ashes and making sure his son stays alive. So he doesn't really articulate the fact that his son's just being a dick and he needs to stop being like that. He's just concerned, do as I say, follow my orders, let us get through this. And that's kind of all he can really do at that point in the story. And it doesn't work on this kid who's just getting a power trip from being a god to find out he's a god. And then you get the boulder fight. And now remember where the boulder fight happens is because he tells the kid not to attack. He's not ready for this. The kid attacks anyway. Boulder grabs him and runs off. Because the kid knows how to read um, or about how to travel to Jotunheim. And that's just a... Yeah, then you have the dragon sequence, which is awesome and amazing. And you have the sense of scale, which I talked about in the past. And I shouldn't talk about back then, but there you go. You have the um, Mimir back and forth. Like him, Kratos, and Mimir are such a fantastic trio through that whole... The lead up to that point and Mimir reacting to the kid being a dick, but not really be able to say anything because Kratos is right there and the dick, the kid is just kind of a dick. And he doesn't have a body that so kind of gets in the way. Um, but finally ending up back in Helheim after the fight with um, Baldur and the the actual confrontation between him and, and um, Atreus, Kratos and Atreus, where he just like goes, this is your fault. This is why we're here. You being essentially a dick got us here. Now we have to get back to. We lost the um, the path. We have to get back to Midgard and get to Jotunheim, deliver your mother's ashes, and we're set back because of you. You attacking Boulder, and it reminded me of when I was a kid. You know, it reminded me of when my dad would like shout at me for being a dickhead when I was a kid. And that was great. I don't know. There's so many damn is great. So much of this game is fucking great. Um, but um, yeah, I I need to I need to move faster now. I don't have said like I've gone through the best part of the game, the the Blades of Chaos scene. So from here forward, it's just like continue to just be great, and it is really like the um that the come coming of age stuff for the kid where he's learning from. His mistake with fighting Boulder through the getting the black rune for um oh, sorry, not playing the black rune. Escaping Helheim and um getting the thing to like going into the serpent's mouth to uh 
get the item to get back to Jotunheim, which is a Mimir's second eye and all that kind of stuff. Flipping the temple. Like, there's so many things they do. Holy shit. Flipping the temple. That was so cool. Um, yeah, I, I've really... I'm, I'm just flitting through this... this the, the second half is the, the last... Sorry, the last third of this game. Because it's just back to back to back. Awesome shit. I love the puzzles of Tyr's Temple. Um, even though like, some of them took me a while. because Not because of the difficulty puzzle, but because they're timing based. Like the slamming up and down whole sections um, of the roof. Like the big presses that you can slow down to make you have to make sure that they close in a specific order that was kind of those were um the only time i got i was like i've already solved this puzzle just just get over with um but everything else was fantastic from that whole <coughs> scene um to flip the temple flipping the temple itself i just love the the imagery of that uh there's another one of those beautiful um kratos epic moments uh, and then you have, what was the last sections here? Yeah, you flip the temple, and then why do you fight Baldur again? I'm trying to remember now. I'm trying to remember the last parts of this game. So you escape Helheim. That's pretty cool with the flying ship and stuff. That was awesome. Um, I think it went a little bit too long, but I don't really care because the combat's so great that I didn't mind that that fight went for like 20 minutes. That was just fucking cool. Um... Between Realms, that was the fourth last chapter. Let's see what you do there. I'm just looking at the IGN thing quickly. Um, the Gauntlet of Realms, which is getting the Unity Stone. Yeah. Uh, which was, oh, right. That's it. So to get the temple back up, you have to jump off the world tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was cool. I love, did you, did, I don't know if any of you guys um, just jumped off the world tree near the start of the game, like the first time you can travel the ways, it's one of the first things I did. Because I thought it would be like, a, there was a circle prompt at the edge, right? And I thought it'd be like, oh yeah, they'll have, they'll have like a um, talk about it. Like he'll he'll step off and then his son will stop him or something, but not. Uh, you go up to the edge and he goes, um, so, like, boy, and then uh, Atreus jumps on your back. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yes. And he just jumps off. And you see them falling through the sky and they just melt into nothingness. And then he just, the screen goes black and he goes, you were warned not to jump, to not to stray from the path. And that was wonderful because when I got back to it, it reminded me of that scene because like, they had this whole like beautiful animation of him like flying through the sky, right? I was like, why do they do all that for this one death scene? Um, they could just said, don't stray from the path and whatever, not even have that in the game. But then actually doing it was kind of cool. Getting the... um getting the unity stone which is before you get mimir's second eye uh was kind of cool the fights in that though that, that was one of those moments where i was like oh, i wish those fights were more interesting we just kind of back-to-back normal four fights with two ogres at the end that was not hard um but then you get back up and, and the the temple's re-revealed then you're getting um mimir's head uh mimir's head second eye and that's when the end of the game happens that's right. That's right. There we go. Now that that's that's all the connecting of the dots. Going into the world server's mouth was fucking cool. I loved that. I loved how you like. I love every time you speak to the world serpent. I love the sounds that were coming out of my speakers. I love the epicness of his size and scale. 
I love the fact that he's not speaking language to understand, and you, and you're getting Mimir's um, translation, and apparently talking to um, or hearing from Corey Barlog. Mimir does not tell you everything the snake says, so if people figure out how to translate that. I'm so curious to hear everything the snake says. Um, and then like swimming into or rowing into the snake's mouth. That's fucking cool. That was fucking cool. That was fucking cool. I was kind of annoyed that inside the snake was just a big hollow hallway with a perfectly formed structure that was climbable in the center of it, but I don't care, it's a video game. That was fine. But getting back out and the final fight with Boulder, that was a whole thing. Um, I, I didn't touch on this before, but back in Union Helheim for the second time, after he had, Kratos had the fight with his kid and finally set him straight, and the kid starts coming back around and being finding his balance again, as Mimir says. You do get that vignette with Boulder. Um, you get those two vignettes. So you get the vignette with Kratos and his father, and the kid sees him murder his father, which is kind of awesome. But then the kid says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And that classic thing with which some guys do, which is avoid all avoid all talking of that kind of stuff, because that's just, that's just too hard to talk about. Like, I, Kratos clearly didn't want to talk about it, and he didn't want to like have force his dad to talk about it, so he's just not going to talk about it. Um, which is kind of cute and t- so true. Um, but this the first one you see, that's the second one. The first one you see is actually between Boulder and Freya, and that was really heartbreaking to me, and really wonderful piece of um stage craft. Because uh, the second time it does this, where you're like climbing past people on the outside of a structure while they're having discussion around near you that you can spy on. But in this case, it's Boulder watching a vision of the past him talking to Freya when he first finds out that Freya gave him the immunity to all um, harm. But what it also did was remove his ability to feel. And um, he was so mad as well. I, I just love that whole sequence. You know what happened. You know what happened. I don't recount the sequence to you, but I just, I felt it. I felt both sides because I felt Freya's, the acting there was just so spectacular. I felt Freya's um, hurt for her boy, understanding that she, that he, like her words were perfect. Like maybe in the future you'll thank Hopefully, the future will thank me for what I've done. Because that's what she legitimately feels. She was protecting. She was doing the ultimate gift of protection for her son. Making sure that he could not be harmed by any way, shape, or form. The classic overprotective mother myth. Um, but from his side of things, like she took away everything from him. He's in this world forever now. Unable to die. But unable to experience any of the joys of being in the world. Um... And so you can see both sides of them and them interplaying with themselves in that scene in the past, which is just playing out in this smoky vision, which looked beautiful, by the way, um, was just cool. Um, and the last part of like every moment where he just, you could see him hoping that his past self would just hit his mother. It was just like so hard to watch, but so meaningful and impactful. It was just wonderful. Um, so cleverly done it's obviously like contrived like that he just happened to be there that they, they were flying past or like climbing past at the time but who cares like i loved it loved it um flying boat out interesting the only interesting mechanic they asked which is the last 
they added, which is the last mechanic of the game, which is um, grabbing the air air currents of Helheim with the Blades of Chaos. Never really made sense to me, but whatever, I don't care. It's kind of cool. Um, they they add that back when you did the uh, the fight with the te- the only cool troll. The only troll I found was I thought was a cool fight was the teleporting troll who's like the gatekeeper of Helheim. That was cool. That was fucking awesome. That was the only one that was like, oh, like, that's interesting. You have to like actually stay in your toes here and make sure you dodge properly. Otherwise, it's just going to teleport in front of you and fucking ram your face in. Um, I wish I played that game on hard sometimes for that fight. Definitely. Uh, for other fights, like the Valkyries, like, I'll fuck that on hard. No way. I'm going to play that on hard. Um, but yeah, so like, that's a kind of cool thing. I just like that puzzle mechanic of... of the timing between things it, it would be annoying if other things also were timed because that's the only real timed mechanic i liked it in um, conjunction with other things like climbing things and it's mostly about exploiting angles so you can take the shortest route between places that was pretty cool and that goes back to my other exploration of the world but i won't go into it um but yes coming out of the world service mouth back to present coming out of the world service mouth knowing about boulder and freya and finally, the fighting final fight with Boulder. That, again, the game goes huge. And that is, I love it when the game goes big. I love so many little things about the game, like the conversation between people, the animations of like um, Kratos passing um, Mimir's head to uh, Atreus when they get on the boat. Mimir's stories. Um, especially when you're like walking through the world tree or um, rowing around the world, the dragons you free, um, the side quests with the with, with like pretty cool loot, the little ring that um, talks to, then lies to you for a while. Like so many games, parts of this game are cool. The favorite part of the game is still getting the blades of chaos, but apart from that, it's these big fights. So like the boulder fight, pretty much every boulder fight. The bold fight at the start of the game, the bold fight at the back of the dragon, and the bold fight at the end of the game. Those are fucking amazing. Um, just because this, not only are the fights kind of cool in themselves and the mechanics, like he's fast and nimble and, and hits hard. Like I like that stuff. Uh, or, or somewhat hits hard. At the end of the game, it doesn't really hit that hard because I was I'd already been to um, Muspelheim or whatever and, and gotten that um, the armor that regenerates health, the level seven armor that regenerates health, they have to go through like that the mechanics place, like the, the mists to get. I'd already gotten that, so I was like way over leveled. I was like level seven and a half or level eight by that point. Um But the mechanics of the fight were really fun. Because that's what I was talking about at the very start of the podcast, where being like DMC Devil May Cry, where he would change affinities between ice and fire, and you had to hit him with the opposite weapon during the fight. But at the same time the whole family mechanic was coming together with Freya and her, the problems with Freya and her son coming back together with like her trying to stop you, even at the last moments when he's trying to kill her from killing her son, wrapping you with both of you with violence was stopping you from fighting. Just added so many and layers to that fucking boss fight, which is so wonderful to like, to see um, the fact that Kratos, Kratos' motivation for that boss fight isn't that he hates Boulder? It's that he knows the path Boulder's on of vengeance, and he knows Boulder's soul in that he, because he was himself, Boulder will not step from this path. He will not stop himself from killing Freya. He will 
continue the cycle of vengeance. Um, and that's his motivation, which is really cool. His Kratos' motivation to that fight is to save Freya of all things. And Freya's trying to stop him from saving her. Um, which is just crazy. And great. So, yeah, like, that whole thing was amazing. Like, him, like, flying around, like, dropping from the sky, setting his world on fire with, like, fire circles and, like, and switching to ice and fire and switching to ice and fire. You getting back and forth and, like, going up the giant's arm, like, while it's slamming you, like, avoiding the giant hand of the giant um, that Freya had, like, reanimated from the mountainside in the distance <clears throat> with the chisel through his head. Fuck me, man. That that this game, this game went places, man. The dragon in the mountains, that one, the fucking earth splitting below your feet, the start of the game fighting Baldur and fuck. Um so it really does come but like the crazy thing about that fight is the fight itself wasn't even the most memorable part about it. The most memorable part about it was the end of it where um, Atreus echoes to, to Kratos when he's like got Balder between his hands, choking him out on the floor. That he's defeated. Don't kill, like, so spare him. So he he's defeated with the implication that spare him. Treat asking Kratos, God of War, to show mercy. And him doing so, and he getting away from Kratos and, and stepping away from Balder, and said, "You will not hurt her. You will not hurt my son." You will not see us again. Some of those lines. That was memorable. But then seeing what happens next with him getting up and Freya offering herself in a last bid as a mother to child to, to help her son um, get over his his hatred for life by killing her. We didn't even go into the whole like punching the, like the really cool thing with Kratos repairing his his son's strap. This is a thirty hour game. I can't do everything right. Kratos Kratos repairing his son's strap with like the little piece of arrow, the green arrow. Um, the fact that Freya, uh, in saying that the arrows were evil, made me doubt Sindri for the longest time. For the longest time, I thought Sindri was evil because Freya said the arrows were evil and horrible things. It didn't click for me that they were her son's weakness um him the the uh, atreus standing in front of kratos to protect his father when he goes down um also when he's when he's held back for the vines um when balder comes to hit him and hits uh atreus instead um the last bit of the, and, and then impales himself with the the green uh, arrow uh, and becomes uh, mortal again or such harmable again still a god but harmable again um, the awesomeness of the fight on the side of the of the of the giant, where it's like you hit with Kratos, and then you need a square prompt, and um, and Atreus hits Balder as well, and then Kratos hits him, and then Atreus hits him, and then Kratos hits him, and then Atreus hits him. That was so sick. Uh, but all that com- culminates with Balder strangling Freya in this like again like intimate, sad death. Of like this mother giving her last like the last gift she can to her son, letting her ki- him kill her, which is this crazy like perverted thing. And then of course Kratos is like, 
no, this I'm going to end the cycle of violence here. The cycle ends here, I think is his words. And he's just echoing the side of the game. Again. Snapping Boulder's neck. And I wish I could remember, because this is what was the strongest part of that whole scene. Freya turning on you and Atreus. Where she says like, this like fucking 30 second long threat. Like I will like sow the seeds of your destruction kind of threat to Kratos. Like that darkness in her because you killed her light, her son. That was something else. Like just, wow, I didn't see that coming. Then walking away from that scene when she goes away and Atreus realizing that, wow, I I thought we did a good thing. Like, what was, why was that whole thing? Um, and like, why would she let her son kill him? And um, Kratos saying, I'd do the same for you. And you won't understand that until you're your parent as well. All amazing. All amazing. Amazing writing. <laughs> amazing. Amazing everything. I'm just getting shivered. I... It's so hard to even like describe this game because I'm just using words to what these developers took years to um to craft into these perfect cinematics and fight scenes and such well paced sequences and um delivery of these actors like I do, I know I'm doing a terrible job I hate this I, I think this is one of the worst spoiler casts I've ever done um, by far I, if you still listen to this thank you and why you still listen to this this is a terrible spoiler cast um, but hearing him hearing that, that line from Kratos hearing that line from Freya then hearing the line from Kratos like I would do the same for you again just like shows the journey he's on and that culminates with um, two things. I'm skipping a, a very important scene, I know that. But two things. Um, one, when he gets to the top of Jotunheim, and obviously he gets to Jotunheim, they get to Jotunheim using uh, Mimir's eyes. <laughs> they get to Jotunheim, the top of Jotunheim, the highest peak in all the realms. And he takes off the bandages off his arms. That's one ending of an arc for him. The B plot, I would say. With his dealing with himself being the god from another realm in Norse mythology. Um, but the other one was when he turns to Atreus and hands him the ashes of um, of his wife. Of Faye. And that was that was a cool moment. Like, it was one of those things where it was surprising but inevitable. When the moment he happened, I knew that it was the only thing that made sense to happen in that moment. They were at the peak of the mountain to scatter her ashes. And he hadn't let Atreus carry the ashes yet. He'd always know, say, no, these are from, this, this is my duty. Um, this is how I mourn. This is how I'm doing it. You're not ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah. When he when he gives the ashes to his son, it was in everything led to that point. And when he did it, I was still surprised because it was so. 
I'd forgotten about all that stuff. There would be hours, 30 hours of this game. So many things that happened. We just killed a god. Um, but still that moment was just right. It felt right. Just right. Both those back-to-back moments. One was kind of fun because Kratos pulls off his wrappings and like lifts them to the air. And like Atreus like just pokes his head in from the side of the, street, the screen and goes, uh, you, you ready yet or something? Um, right there. That was kind of cute. But then Atreus carrying the ashes the last couple away and then being the first to scatter the ashes and watching them float out over Jotunheim. That's, that was this, that was kind of cool. Um, but of course the two things that are the actual ending and by the end of my spoiler cast here, cause I've talked about bringing everything in the game, at least touched upon all of it. Uh, main part of it is almost two hours, whatever. Oh, sorry. It's past two hours. Holy shit. Um, the reveal about the giants first, because what happened first? Uh, they came. They fled Midgard because of Odin's. I'm uh, sorry, Thor's hammer. Mjolnir. They left two behind: the Guardian and the World Serpent. And everything Kratos and Atreus done had done from the start of the game had been foreseen. Potentially by Freya, but had definitely been known by the giants. And that was the whole point of their journey was to bring them here. It was all a thing. All part of fate to some degree. Which is so cool. That was such a cool reveal. I had no idea what to think about that, man. Um, it was hinted at, at the start. Again, like what happened, it was like surprising but inevitable. Because they talked about the past and the future not being clear. Something's having either been happened before or will happen. Like we're not, It's not clear. Um, the world serpent traveled back through time. You know that. Um, to before to before he was born. Um, you know about Freya foreseeing that they would have to leave the lands when they, when she asked him to cut down those trees. The fact that she would probably, she probably knew when she specified that they, they wanted, she wanted them to go to the tallest peak in all the realms, not just in all of Midgard. All of that was just like, it led to the final moment of being, okay, surprising but inevitable. Just a such a cool reveal when he puts his hand when uh, Trace puts his hands against that wall, and all the dust, all the, all the rock falls away to reveal these murals of their journey, of um, them killing Balder, etc. Um, of course, the the big question mark about that is the mural of um, Atreus cradling Kratos. Uh, as he lies prostrate on the ground. Don't know what that means. It's so weird. Like, it's... I swear, like, my my memory of the mural is... And I need to look up images of this. I don't know. Was like, um... Was like the world serpent coming out of... Uh, Atreus's mouth while Kratos is, like, lying dead below him. Uh, sorry, not dead, but lying prostrate before... It's not clear whether he's dead or not. Some people interpret that as um, Atreus killing Kratos, 
Some people interpret that as Atreus mourning Kratos. Um, I interpret that as um, we have no fucking idea. <laughs> it could be anything. He could be asleep. He could be um, sick. Uh, it could just be a case of like in the middle of a fight at some point, he gets knocked down for a little bit of time. And Atreus, to protect him, produces the World Serpent, like summons the World Serpent or something. Like, we have no idea how that's going to eventuate. Um, but that's curious, man. It's curious. And, of course, the final reveal, second last reveal, sorry, of the game, or third, depending what order you do things in. Uh, the second last reveal of the game-ish, or third, is that... Um, he Atreus is Loki. And it's funny because I watched Jesse Cox's first uh hour of his playthrough on YouTube. And um he's he he made a joke because when Baldish first showed up, a lot of people thought he was Loki, uh apparently. Um I had no idea. And he um I didn't think he was Loki because I didn't I didn't pick Loki for a brawler type. And not with that voice, definitely. Uh, not that kind of, you know, I don't know, he'll, like hickey kind of voice. Um, but essentially, Jesse Cox made the crack that, ha, huh, he's not Loki. They wouldn't drop a Loki on us this early in the game. Because <laughs> everyone assumed, well, I assumed definitely, that you'd be going Asgard as part of this. You're going to probably kill at least one of the main gods i didn't know about boulder i had no idea who the fuck boulder was um you probably kill uh thor or something and then you kill odin like at the end of the series or something like that like you did in the first game like you killed Ares, um and then you killed odin in the third game um but this like no uh and the jackie's cost is like now nah, they're not gonna i assume you'd fight loki in the second game or something right or something like that but it's like, no, nah, you wouldn't drop a Loki this early in the series um, or this early in the game. And turned out, no, nah, they, they dropped Loki even earlier because Loki was right there from the start. Uh, and that was cute. It was a cute thing. Um, apparently, if you're really deep into Norse mythology, there's a lot of hints along the way. Like, uh, Cory Barlog was saying, like, how the Atreus' first summons were wolves. Um, when he found out he was a god, the first thing he asked is whether he can turn into a wolf, and that's obviously Loki's deal, or apparently it was Loki's deal. I know he has some connection with um, Fenrir. I don't know what it is. Um, and Hela. I don't know what it is either. I think Hela's his daughter or something. Um, but yeah, like the that was cool, right? Like the, the reveal that he'd be Loki. I just, I just kind of, kind of went like, huh, okay. That's interesting. Not because, um, partly because I don't know Loki's actual story. And otherwise, because I don't know if Atreus, I don't know if in this version of the universe they're portraying, Loki is a good guy or not. Maybe he is. And that could be an interesting way of doing it. Where the Norse gods, Thor's clearly a dickhead. Odin's clearly a dickhead. Maybe Loki's the good one guy in this version. How Cory Barlog puts it, however in some of the interviews is <coughs> that now Atreus has a choice to be Atreus or Loki making it sound like Atreus is like the good path 
and becoming Loki of legend is the dark path. And that makes me wonder about the future. Like, is Atreus going to go dark? And what is, what's Kratos going um, to do about that? Or what's his involvement going to be about that? I just don't know. I'm excited. If anything, it's, that was such a cool ending to the game and such a classy ending to the game as you're walking away from the top of the mountain with the with credits actually just on screen next to you, like not, not full full page scrolling or whatever. Um, and then telling you that you can do more in the world, uh, like kill the Valkyries. Um, I was like, huh, this just makes me want to play the next game. <laughs> like that, that's just... You got me. You got me. This is a series. I need to know what happens next. But I'm also happy with waiting because this ends This ends totally fine. If it's like five years before the next one, that's fine because this ends just right. Like it hits that nail. And it's a question, right? And as you get back, you find out that Jotunheim is uh, far faster, sorry, slower, sorry, faster than the real world, something like that. So the months have passed or something when, they, when they've gotten back to the real world. So Fimble Winter has started. Yeah, that means faster. Fast, faster than the real world. No slower. Time passes slower in Jotunheim. Therefore, in the real the real world is moving faster. Therefore, it's been months. Therefore, Fimble Winter. Anyway, long story short, that means that Ragnarok is starting. Um, and that's the real thing. So like when I thought about God of War in Norse mythology. I uh, was immediately reminded of um, this other series of books I read called called The Iron Druid, which deals with some of that stuff. Uh, but also, like, just recently, well, more recently, Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> which is about Ragnarok, uh, weirdly enough, like, forgets things uh, like Fenrir and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, just really talking about Surt. Um but also like uh, Hellblade from last year, which which touches upon some of the the Norse mythology as well. Um, it is, it was inevitable to me that Kratos would either be the method by which Ragnarok is executed or started. And in this, yeah, uh, Kratos obviously starting Ragnarok that was again inevitable with this game. Um, but that means the other the trajectories of the other two games might no be nowhere near as personal as they are for this game. This game is definitely like a small story, really. It's just about so, father and son goes go across the world to lay their um, deceased the deceased mother's ashes, and things get in the way, uh, and, and and the whole Norse pantheon or half the Norse pantheon get in the way. Uh, that's just, that's that's literally the only story, the whole story in two sentences, or one sentence. Um, but in the next one, it could be something like uh, the Norse pantheon is after them because they started Fimble, they started the end of the world, so that they they have to like survive or whatever. Like it could be totally different. Um, and that's okay. Like I, I, this was a story. It I don't need a sequel to. Uh, this story, I need a sequel to that, sorry, that fulfills the promises, the bedrock that this story lays. Because Kratos in this other universe, this Norse universe, is incredibly compelling. Him and his um, connection with Atreus is great and still budding because Atreus is just a kid. Like, 
this is one phase of a parent and child relationship. Um, it's going to be very interesting seeing Atreus grow up, if he grows up. I don't know how gods age in this universe. Um, but yeah, like it's going to be interesting watching him grow up and potentially become the Loki of legend. Like He will have to give birth to the world serpent. It was on that image in the... Um, in the that hall, the giant hall. Uh, and that's going to be very curious to see like how that leads into it. I wonder what Corey Barlog means between him picking between Atreus and uh, Loki. Um, before I talk about the last reveal of the game, I will I will say that uh, my probably my second favorite actual moment, not like overall sequence, my favorite moment is obviously the Blaze of Chaos. Second favorite moment is... Um, Kratos finally telling a good story at the end of this game because that was a running joke, right? When they we're often uh, doing uh, boat stuff, he uh, was continually made fun of by Atreus for being terrible at telling stories. Uh, but of course, him telling the story of the one Spartan who inspired him and gave him Atreus's name—that was pretty great. Um, and Corey says it better than I do. Uh, I loved it when I heard it because that what it means. Uh, made sense to me immediately, but Corey uh, Barlog in both his interviews with um, the spoiler casts with kind of funny and easy allies says like says it better than I do uh, regarding like the fact that he named Atreus that demonstrates that how far Atreus has come since those days of his past. The fact that he's able to idolize someone and name his son after someone who isn't a god, who isn't a hero, um, as, as in the normal sense, in this kind of sense, but is a man who is capable of leading his men with hope in his heart and a smile on his face. That's who he um, idolizes and will name his son after. And that says so much about his character. And I, I got that the moment he said that story. And I love that story. And I love Atreus going, uh, wow, you finally told a good story. That was a beautiful little cap. That was like multiple things closing off at the same moment. It was perfect. Um, that was probably my second favorite moment of this whole game. But with that uh, comes the cool teaser. Um, the second last reveal or last reveal, depending on how you play it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the, the Valkyrie Queen because I haven't beaten her myself but i've heard who she actually is i heard the valkyrie queen once you beat all the other valkyries and fight the queen the queen is a named person and it's important who the queen is you can look it up on youtube i haven't seen it for myself so it's not confirmed i'm not going to say it out loud um but when you go back home after the um time on the mountaintop and rest on your bed you get a vision. And that is the actual credits, the actual roll credits for the game. So there's one roll credits when you're walking away from the mountain that was kind of beautiful. There's normal roll credits, black screen, white text, normal roll credits um, if you sleep in your home after doing your quest. And um, that, so the image, the vision is, just to say it loud because you don't know it, this is a spoiler cast, you don't want to know, do not. Uh, Atreus and, and um, Kratos wake up years later from the rest or it flashes forward years later they're still in their hut massive lightning strikes outside the hut thunder rolling through the through the valley or the, the forest that they're in 
they they burst outside terrified that they're under attack um kratos shields uh atreus behind him and stands forward the cameras the camera flows around to reveal a man in thick furs and cape um and hood with golden locks coming out of the hood hood staring at them ominously from the forest uh maybe like 20 feet away from them and Treus, sorry, uh, and Kratos says, "Who are you?" And all the guy does is flick back his um, his jacket to reveal Mjolnir on his belt, and that was sick. <laughs> that was fucking sick. <laughs> That's cool. That was a cool thing. That was a surprise. I didn't know that was there. I didn't know. Um, I I'd, I'd seen an image of that guy and I knew I hadn't seen him yet in the game. Um, I'd seen... YouTube spoiled that for me. I saw the image of Thor in, on YouTube as a, as, a, as a preview for a video. Um, but I didn't know where he was in the game. Um, so it was cool to see that this was how that was done. And it was a fucking cool moment. Partially just because of HDR, the the light which made amazing lighting, the sound of it, um, the uh, dramatic, like how dram- you know, like old school Western dramatic it is of him just like showing his gun essentially, um, and I love how the design of Mjolnir for this It's just like a simple warhammer, actual warhammer, period appropriate, small head ish smallish head wooden haft just like that it just looked right for this world um and that says so much about what will happen a couple of years later right because it's a vision from a trip so yeah it, the, the credits passed and it comes back to the present day and she's like daddy wouldn't know what i, I heard I, I had this vision and it felt so real and he's like well, what do you say what are you saying he's like oh we were under attack and he's like oh it's just a vision but it felt real um yeah, it's, to me that says in uh, God of War, no, Dad of War 2, uh, not God of War 2, because that's already, I mean, that's already a game. Um, in Dad of War 2, they'll fight Thor. And in Dad of War 3, they'll kill Odin. That's that's my take on that. That's pretty much all that is. Like That's all we can say. I have no idea. Uh, Fimble says a couple years, several years later, right? So it's probably after Fimble Winter, because Fimble Winter is supposed to last like three years or whatever. Um, that's then the end of Fimble Winter is the start of Ragnarok. Um, so I, next year might be God of War Ragnarok, like Thor Ragnarok, um, and just be about yeah, like Atreus. Uh, sorry, Kratos continues to raise Atreus, uh, but then Fimble Winter ends and the gods come and the fight begins. Um, as the doors to Asgard open, and that kind of stuff. Um, man. Anyway, that's the game from start to finish. I'm really sorry now that I did it that way to some extent because I did meander. I apologize for that, and also because like even doing it that way, even going from start to end of the game, I still couldn't talk about all the amazing shit in this game. Um. But there are so many like little moments. It's a 30, 40 hour game. There's so many little moments. It reminds me of like Geralt playing 
like Snowball with Siri in Witcher. Like the, I can point to things like that and go, those are the moments of this game. Like I can point to the boulder fight at the start. Sorry, burning the ashes, burning his wife at the start. I was setting the pyre, the pyre for the wife. Um, you're not ready, boy. Uh, the very first argument between him and his son when when he tries to get the son to hit him in the hands and he kept like the, like that boxing kind of practice and he kept like dodging with his hands and hit, and hitting his son. The son gets angry and starts coughing and he's like, "You're not ready, boy." The boulder fight, which is fucking amazing. The first one, the stranger. That's when it, it's like, "All oh, right, this is God of War." Um, seeing the uh, for me like the big standout for that first half of the game is probably like. Uh, sorry, aside from those, is uh, f- realizing what the hub of the world is, like how amazing the this Lake of Nine is and how that whole system um, changes with, with raising and lowering of the tide. That's sort of, well, mainly lowering. Lowering of the tide as the world serpent moves. That was fucking awesome. Um, I really like the hammer sequence to some extent. The bla- getting the blades, obviously. Fighting the Valkyries, amazing. Um, I fought four of them of the seven. Uh, the, the only one that was hard for me was that first one because I just was undergeared. Once I got to level seven gear with Muspelheim and stuff armor, easy. Uh, not easy, but like two or three tries. One of them I did in one try, like whatever. I just need... I just need to do the... um. Stupid one, the fire planet. Is that Muspelheim? I don't remember. The fire planet one, the uh, fog planet one. <clears throat> Both of those, I just, you have to do so much before you even, for the fog planet one, it's on a time limit and I hate that. For the fire planet one, um, it is at the end of all the trials. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do because it's now I've beaten the game, I don't have any reason to do the trials. Like, if I needed to do them to get good gear, I would have done them. But you already get really good gear just from getting to the, the um, to some basic stuff in the fog planet, fog realm. Like, you get level 7 gear. That's all you need to fight Valkyries and everything. Like, I don't need to do more, so I just stopped. Um, but now I'm finished the game, I don't know if I want to go back into it, especially I don't need to get back to writing, and I've totally been lax on that because I've been sick and playing God of War. Um, so yeah, like this, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much endgame content, but anyway, how do I even get to this? How do I even get to this? Valkyries, yeah, best moments. Valkyries, beating them by the first Valkyrie was amazing. Um, the elevator sequence was amazing the uh back of the dragon fight was amazing uh, i love this the scene with boulder and freya uh re- like the little stage play that happens there that was beautiful um i love the moment where kratos out of the three moments three big moments between or four or so big moments between kratos and his boy um the telling him that they both mourn differently Telling him that they're gods. Telling them that uh, we are gods and we must be better to spare um, Thor's kid. Um, and then blowing up in his face uh, near when um, they both got sent back to Helheim. Those are all amazing. Just amazing, amazing moments. And then uh, finally giving him his axe, so his, his dagger and saying he's ready. 
that was that was all beautiful like that every that's five moments i guess that, that, that was all beautiful um i love that i love the voice acting love every, everything about it was amazing um i love i love the puzzles almost throughout the game i just really like them none of them took me any longer than five minutes and all of them were like brain te- they're like brain teasers rather than really big puzzles and i love that uh the fight with Balder at the end i really love how that was like the culmination of everything where you're switching between axe and blades mid fight that was really cool but especially freya's speech at the end was incredible um so good and then finding out about the prophecy of the giants finding out about loki and then finding out thor like all those moments were all fantastic and they spread throughout the whole game and this game's 34 hours long and plays amazingly and 10 out of 10 that's my game that's 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 uh that's my spoiler cast <laughs> 10 out of 10 <laughs> could it be my epic yeah is it perfect no um is is the uh are the enchantments kind of a weird underbaked system where a lot of them just feel kind of samey? Yes. Uh, especially, except for the unique ones. I pref- I prefer they stripped out all the shit ones and just had the unique ones. Um, they're all really cool. All the unique ones are really good. Like the ones that lets you dodge and it leaves like a, um, that's more of a, that's the amulet, not enchantment, whatever. You can dodge and leave like, you've dodged the last, last second, leaves like a slow field where you left, like stuff like that. It's just fucking incredible. Um, Stuff that gives you like fire aura when you on percentage chance of hit or heals you in percentage chance. Those ones are all good. Um But the yeah, like the the random ones like plus two strength or whatever, those could all just be taken out of the system. They don't add enough. Um the armors, I actually love them, but I I prefer if they've all uh actually no, I, I love all the armors. I love all the armors, that's fine. I like the systems that they are. The upgrading them takes too many mats. I couldn't be fucked, but that's fine too because that's just end game stuff. Some people love that. Some people love grinding for mats, doing the the puzzle mazes and all that kind of stuff to get mats to do that. That's sure. That's fine. Um, but man, that combat system, especially fighting Valkyries. When when you're fighting Valkyries, that's when it really shines for me. Or when you're fighting like high level level eight like Wolfmen. That's when it really shines, um, or a crowd of like disparate, like high level enemies in the mists, uh, in that last place is Svartalfheim. I forget, no, it's not Svartalfheim. I forget what planet or realm it is, but the the world of mists, um, is just so cool. Right, there we go. I mean, Arjun can tell me this, he can tell me what the fucking things are regions and realms, Nilfheim. That's it, Nilfheim, 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 Nilfheim is the island of, of mists. And Muspelheim is the fire one. So Muspelheim gives you the best strength armor in the game, but I end up switching to the uh, the Niflheim um, armor because that gives you health regeneration, and that was sick, absolutely sick. Just trying to look through all these stuff to see if I missed anything. King's Hollow, Light Off, Alphas, Ruins. So many good side quests. So many good like. Uh, like the puzzle, light of island I like because so puzzly. If you go back there again a second time, um, really difficult. Like level six or so enemies there. That was a really fun fight. It's a bunch of ice enemies that are like level like mages and warriors and stuff. They're all level six. Pretty tough. Um, rift fights were all really fun. Um, all like the where the combat system really shines. Like they just nailed parrying 
they nailed the feel of combat, the deliberateness of combat. Everything I did, I felt like I, I never mashed it out um, like old God of War. I picked and chose every hit I, I used in my axe. When I, I planned out every execution strike I used. I planned out every time I used a special ability. The fact that you can switch between both weapons and then just like chain off special abilities back to back to back to back, that's fucking awesome at the end. It gives you such a sense of power at the end of the game. You can do so much damage to massive areas of enemies by going like, um, yeah, it's like, um, I'm just going to light, light and heavy is the term. So light, light blades, light axe and then in a tough situation heavy blades heavy axe like the special abilities from both or just going um on being on the blades to start a fight using light and heavy then switches to axe and light and heavy then switching back to blades and continue up like fucking oh you can do so many cool things in that game man but then dodging feels right i love that it's a short dodge on x and a um a, a full roll and double tap and they, that you you be worried about that because sometimes you like Bloodborne. You want a full roll on a single press button press, but because the pace of combat is just right, that a double press is 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 um, short enough period of time to feel like you're still getting a very responsive battle system. That's amazing. The only time I had a problem with the camera was I only had it once in the whole game, and this is like near the start of the game where it's the first time you're fighting heavy draugers and at the bottom of this ravine, you like fall down the bottom of this ravine. There's like all these like frozen draugers around you and you just get rushed by like shitloads of draugers and then they shoot heavy draugers and there's one that top fired down you and I actually talked to Duran about that and he had a fucking hate he hated that that fight as well and made me hate the camera after that I had never a problem with it again especially once you get the blades because you don't worry as much about people behind you because you're hitting all around you with all most of your strikes and you can turn mid combo and hit keep hitting everything around you um fuck yeah best combat system best combat system and in fact it has it goes all the way from one end for barehanded combat system which is pretty damn cool with the stunning and switching your kid to blue arrows so you're getting like double stuns down so you can like almost insta stun an ogre at the end of the game like within seconds of him spawning on the map you've already stunned him and you're riding him around like it's so you can double down on that all the way to the other end um Sorry, one step further, where you, you're a slow deliberate uh, axe and shield, step forward, block, slam, execution strike, block, block, execution strike, like light, 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 uh, jog, air juggle people, whatever, and then slam back down, back off, like roll away, shield back out, slow pace combat. Then one step further, right again, your fucking blades of chaos just going ham around the place. And when i first got the blades i actually didn't realize you can still block and when i realized you could do that that's when i was just almost always stuck with the blades because it's like you can just go ham 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 but once it gets real you can block um and that's just fucking awesome anyway long story short god of war amazing game 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 game um five stars what do you want to give it is it perfect no is my favorite game all time no is it on my list, yes. I actually put it. I actually redid my list this morning, and I think um, things are shuffled around. I I raised Pokemon Red to my top ten because that's red and blue to my top ten because they're 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 untouchable. Those, those games are untouchable. They they deserve to be top ten. This is probably in like my top easy top twenty. Um, I think it's currently sitting like number seventeen in my current list. Games of all time, so good. It's gonna be such a contender for. Game of the Year this year. Um, 
I don't see anything like near coming along the horizon, but Red Dead is obviously the the big thing in its way. Anything Nintendo puts out because of Nintendo fanboys, but oh whatever, they're not fanboys, but people who like Nintendo games uh, will like. Well, they are fanboys. Some of them are fanboys. Whatever. Either way, this is a shoe in. I hope you didn't hate this spoil cast too much. I've been all around the place. I'm also sick. I'm not going to use that excuse. I should have just done a short one, which is my favorite couple of things, handful of things, whatever. I don't care. The whole game is amazing. Start to finish. I think, if anything, this has proven that you start anywhere in the game and you analyze it. It is multi-layered, A, B, good, C, like um, incredibly well-paced. All those two things at the same time. And D, good gameplay underpinning it so not only is like the quality of the actual like story stuff happening good but the pacing is good and the gameplay is good and the graphics are good and the music is good so music is good um the main theme of this game is probably one of my favorite main themes in a long long time it's probably since weirdly enough and similarly enough witcher 3 and skyrim there's something about um this kind of like norse or like northern inspired music that i fucking love in main themes for games i don't know what it is uh but of course there's there's the flip side of that which is near which is a different thing entirely that had a very different kind of theme and that was beautiful in its own right so it's not always about the norse stuff but um yeah everything about this game everything about this game i'm so the long the plan going forward is um this is me getting everything out there it's just me like vomiting words onto the screen my own personal thoughts, feelings, just getting out of my system while it's still fresh in my mind because I don't know when I'll be able to talk about this next. Next, I'm waiting for uh, Durin and maybe Thurbleton. I'm not sure if Thurbleton's playing it, but Durin to finish it, and I'll hopefully do a recording with him. Um, uh, we're also planning to do... Well, we tried to do Scotch House last week. We'll try to do one this week. It's just falling through, guys. I don't know what it is. Uh, this year is just not great for the Scotch cast. But I hope you enjoy this cynical supplement. Thank you for listening to this week. My voice hurts. Uh... I have a sore throat and I'm starting a headache because I'm still sick, but I need to talk about God of War. So see you next time. Bye.